This podcast sponsored by Cherry Hill Volvo. A Cherry Hill Volvo and XC40 can be leased for as low as $459. And an XC90 leased for as low as $629. The Cherry Hill Volvo offers are very aggressive. Spring into Cherry Hill Volvo for incredibly fabulous offers. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Hunter Biden's on the hill for his deposition. As the FBI and the Department of Justice are so corrupt, you've got black supporters now coming out and saying, listen, we're backing Trump because he gets it, man. He gets it. And Mitch McConnell stepping down as Senate Majority Leader. Bye-bye. 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 Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. It is a busy Wednesday. I was not expecting uh, Mitch to come out and say that he was going to be uh, stepping down as Senate Majority Leader, but Minority Leader. Um, but good. I'm glad. Good riddance. I mean, goodbye. He's been there way too long. And the bottom line is, I know you're going to start getting all these accolades for him. I-, I will not be one of those people giving Mitch McConnell accolades. I'm sorry, but the minute that he came out and he made sure that Ukraine funding was more important than securing the southern border and sending our money over the border of Ukraine was more important than the safety and security of the United States of America, that's that's enough. That's goodbye. But there's a lot of other reasons, too, that I'm glad Mitch is gone. I'm just worried about his replacement being just as bad, quite frankly. But maybe hope springs eternal. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe it'll be Tim Scott. You know, my my dream would be Mike Lee or Rand Paul. It'd be my dream. My dream would really be Mike Lee. I mean, that would be fantastic. But um, there's too many swamp creatures in the Republican side of the Senate for that to happen, there's too, there's just way too many rhino, mushy, squishy Republican, uh, oof. and they're the worst. Honestly, I I have no use for these people. I really don't. Pick a freaking team and then play for that team and stop with this nonsense. Stop with this nonsense that that, that you know, you know you're going to pr- try to reach across the aisle and Democrats don't want to work with you. They're trying to destroy this country. Wake up. Wake up to that fact. As a black supporter, a former Democrat, said so eloquently today, I'm going to play that clip for you in just a few minutes, but Representative Chip Roy is uh, is speaking right now on Fox News, and he was saying that you cannot hide the fact that Joe Biden was the brand. Joe Biden was the brand, and there's $20 million of money 
that has to be accounted for here. And Biden was the brand, the big guy, 10% for the big guy. And don't forget what I've told you many, many times over again, which is that all the classified documents and the cover-up that is being done with this, because don't fall, do not fall for the uh, for the idea that this is really about Biden being a doddering old man who is hiding his own Easter eggs and a jury would never convict him. They want you to think that so that you're not focused on the fact that these classified documents were most likely in Hunter Biden's possession because they were all around the same time that Hunter was doing business in Ukraine. So all this is going to come out, I believe, is Hunter Biden is now on Capitol Hill for his deposition behind closed doors under oath and good. Also, last night, as the uh, khakis, Steve Kornacki so eloquently put it, it was a landslide for Trump in Michigan. I love these naysayers who are saying, well, Trump didn't get 100 percent of the vote. Therefore, that means that a lot of Republicans don't want him. So he first of all, Michigan, like the other states, was an open primary, meaning you didn't have to be registered as a Republican or Democrat to vote. But the other big story in Michigan, of course, is that Biden effectively got crushed in Michigan last night. It was bad for him. But it shows you how freaking kooky the Democrat Party has become. I mean this. I mean, the Democrat Party's kooky. If you're a Democrat, how do you how do you hang in with this? How do you hang in with this group? You know, there's this lie being pushed right now by this vile human being named Rick Wilson, who's claiming that there were Nazis at CPAC. Now, I can tell you, since I was at CPAC, uh, there were no Nazis there. Uh, there were no. In fact, uh, Matt DeSantis, let me ask you, since you were there at CPAC with me, Matt, did you see any Nazis when you were at CPAC? I did not. I think I would have remembered that. You didn't see any Nazis walking around goose stepping, Zeke Heiling or anything like that? <laughs> I, I would have left immediately. That did not occur. No, there was no Nazis there. No Nazis. It's interesting because also a big theme of CPAC was keeping America out of foreign wars. Last time I checked, the Nazis were not particularly good at that. The Nazis were not good at keeping Germany out of war. In fact, last time I checked, the Nazis were the ones who started World War II. So, along with the Japanese, of course. So, if there were Nazis there, they would have felt very uncomfortable and out of place since it was an America First conference that talked about no more foreign wars and foreign entanglements and... Uh, a lot of the speakers said we got to stop with this Ukraine nonsense and no more war. And they're supporting the guy who didn't get America into another war. That's Donald Trump. And they want Donald Trump back again because Donald Trump didn't start another war and he won't start another war and he'll end the war in Ukraine. But what's, amer- what's amazing, though, of course, is that apparently there were Nazis goose stepping all over CPAC. And I just missed it. I just missed it. Mac, there's a clip I pulled of Rick Wilson in Grabian if you want to grab that for me. Um, He's a vile human being. But this is what they're trying to do. They're trying so desperately to say Republicans are the party of extremism. Look, I'm telling you right now, if there had been Nazis at CPAC, I'm not saying there wasn't some lunatic there. There's lunatics at everything. I'm not saying there wasn't a nutbag there. There's nutbags at every every convention in the world. I mean, even the Amway conference as your, you know, your, your standard garden variety nutbag that shows up. There's a nutbag everywhere. But the Democrat Party's full of them right now. There's so many nutbags that are in that party, including the mayor of Athens, Georgia, who tells us that we must respect the dignity of migrants and tries to deflect to Trump and Charlottesville away from the brutal murder of of that young woman at the hands of an illegal immigrant who should have been deported because he was a criminal. And Biden had a Fugazi crime conference today at the White House. And I can tell you that Joe Biden 
did not address illegal immigration. Instead, what did he do? He went after the NRA, went after guns, went after assault weapons. The usual, usual standard talking points that you'd expect, the usual nonsense that you would try to, you would predict from, from Joe Biden. It's not about, it's not about the criminals. It's about the object that they use, the guns. I'm going to say this while I still can. Just kidding. I will say whatever I want for as long as I want. Uh, You've got a problem in this country, in this, in this Democrat Party. And a big part of the reason why is because you have all these woke prosecutors around the country and these woke mayors, and they've all taken George Soros' money, and they all believe the criminals are victims. And they all believe that the criminals are not to be judged. So therefore, at Biden's crime summit at the White House today, Joe Biden went on about guns and gun control. Not going on about deporting illegal immigrants, not going on about cracking down on actual criminals, because the Democrat Party has been infiltrated by such extremist Marxist people that that's what they believe. They believe capitalism is the problem. They believe the police are white supremacists, racists, and they believe the criminals are the victims. And, you know, there's this clip of Kate Bedingfield. Uh, Matt, I pulled that one, too. Kate Bedingfield, who is Obama's former communications director and Biden's, too. Who was, uh, who was out there saying that Democrats need to talk more on crime. But she also says, I don't think America is this crime-ridden hellscape that Trump makes it out to be. Oh, really? Well, tell that to the people that live in the cities that are affected by crime. To, just, just remember that. Just keep, keep, keep that in mind, all right? Keep in mind the fact that people who live in these areas, who are not Kate Bedingfield, because she lives in, I'm sure, a very, very nice area, they're not the ones that care they i mean kate beddingfields of the world don't care because they don't live in those neighborhoods sorry i got distracted by a tweet from johnny cook wait a minute we went through 2016 with you rightly saying that the only thing that mattered was judges well thanks to mitch we got an extra vote in the supreme court and now dobbs is the law of the land true but good riddance it's time goodbye everybody you know go go i yes mitch did his job and i'm sure that if there had been another republican as minority leader the same result would have occurred McConnell, I'm not saying he's all bad. He was able to do some things in terms of getting judges through. Yes, absolutely. But this iteration of Mitch McConnell right now, this guy who puts Ukraine first and America's border second, sorry, no, that's not a fighter that the Republican Party needs in the Senate. No, sorry. You know, I mean, look, you got to just recognize that fact. It's time for new leadership. I'm just worried about the people that they're talking about because a lot of them are uh, exactly of the same mindset. Ukraine first, America's border second, if at all. You know, I like got a far second, not a close second, but a distant second. I'm just pointing that out because I have a problem with that. I really do. I have a problem with the fact that Mitch McConnell has gone so all in. Remember, it was Mitch McConnell who said Ukraine funding was his top priority. That's what Mitch McConnell said recently. It was his top priority. If you're the Senate minority leader... And you believe the top priority for this country is funding Ukraine? I want you gone. I want you out. Thank you for your work getting judges through. Well done. We appreciate it. But if right now in the year 2024, you're telling me that your top priority is getting money for Ukraine, goodbye. Good riddance and fare thee well. And don't let the door hit you on the way out. I'm serious about that. I'm serious about that. These guys stay there too long. Mitch McConnell told a joke today about how Ronald Reagan called him Mitch O'Donnell. He got there when he was in his 40s and he's in his 80s. 
and, 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 and exposes a problem, which is that these people never leave. They stay there forever. They stay too long. They outlive their welcome. They, we need new blood and we need to have ter- term limits. And I've said this for a long time. And these people just wind up staying. And the problem is when you're in leadership, you tend to get even more entrenched with the swamp in many ways. That's why we've seen the downfall of a lot of Republican speakers over the years. It's why we've seen the downfall of McConnell over the years, too. And, you know, Rand Paul's frustration with him lately has just been so acute and good for Rand Paul for speaking out on it because Rand Paul is the other senator from Kentucky. And Rand Paul has been saying it. You know, McConnell is wrong in his priorities. He's wrong. Any any Republican who stands up there and says the number one issue is Ukraine funding. You call yourself the Republican majority leader or minority leader? Give me a break, please. In fact, McConnell joined Democrat leadership, Biden, Kamala Harris, Chuck Schumer, basically beating up on Ron Johnson during yesterday's White House meeting, trying to get him the fold on foreign aid to Ukraine. That's something. I'll tell you another point, too, that I want to mention. I got some great Ron Johnson audio for you as well as he talks about the FBI and the DOJ being corrupt. Mike Johnson, excuse me, Speaker Mike Johnson. But I have some Senator Ron Johnson audio for you uh, where he, he beats up the FBI and the DOJ pretty good. Really good, actually, today. So I'm very happy about that. But now, look, I mean, McConnell, the problem becomes when you get so entrenched in the swamp, you're so surrounded by by the money and your job is to dole out the money. And so you, you have a lot of lobbyists who are around you all the time. The big part of the job of being in leadership is to raise money for other candidates. That really is what the job is. You know, if you're the speaker of the house, your job is to run the house of representatives. But if you're the majority leader of the house, if you are the whip, if you are the deputy whip, like our buddy Guy Reschenthaler, your job is to raise money. Your, your, your job is to raise lots of money and then make sure that Republicans get elected. McConnell's job is basically that too, especially as minority leader. The majority leader in the Senate is not the same as the Speaker of the House. It's a different structure. And the minority leader, his job is to make sure that Republicans get elected to the U.S. Senate. Hasn't exactly done a bang-up job with that over the years either, has he now? But I wonder, too, if Mitch is doing this now to send a message. I really do. And I know that Mitch McConnell is not like Trump. We know that. Mitch McConnell does not like Donald Trump. And Mitch McConnell came out and said recently he will not be making any comments on endorsements. He said that today as he was wrapping up his press conference. He's not going to say anything about endorsements right now. Why? Donald Trump is, is going to be the nominee. I mean, he's, by all intents and purposes, the nominee. He doesn't have the exact number of delegates he needs technically, but he's the nominee. I mean, his proportion of votes, his proportion of votes that he's been getting as, as each election goes through has been larger percentage-wise with, with each primary caucus. And we still have the Michigan Republican Party caucus, which is going to happen, the convention, which is going to happen, and he's going to crush it there too. But McConnell still won't back him. I wonder, you know, does McConnell... By doing this, send a message to Joe Biden and then put all the pressure on, hey, Joe Biden, you got to take a hint, man. You got to go because McConnell knows that Trump beats Biden. But he thinks that if maybe they swap Biden out and they put somebody else in, then maybe that person could beat Trump. I really wonder that. I don't think Mitch McConnell wants four more years of Donald Trump. I really don't. I really don't think he does. 
And I think that from Mitch McConnell's perspective, a big part of the reason is because when you are in leadership and you are so entrenched in the swamp and your job is to raise money and you're surrounded by lobbyists all day and you're surrounded by the, the money people and you hear over and over again the importance of Ukraine and the defense industrial complex telling you how this money is going to buy bullets in Pennsylvania and tanks in Michigan and, you know, batteries in North Carolina and on and on and on. And this is what you ascribe and this is your world and you become so insular to that. There was this great scene. If you ever watched the show House of Cards on Netflix, particularly the early seasons were fantastic. Uh, I remember the first season. There's this great scene where Kevin Spacey, who I guess, I don't know if he's canceled or uncanceled now. I, I, I don't exactly know Kevin Spacey's status. But anyway, great actor regardless. Uh, he plays this congressman who is in leadership. He would ultimately go on to become president as the show evolves. But, and he has to go back to his district in Georgia. Because there's this issue where there's a water tower with a peach, the Georgia peach. And people are upset because they think the peach looks like a behind. They think the peach looks like a buttocks, peachy butt. And he has to go back and deal with this. And there's this great line where he turns to the camera because he does this a lot. And he looks at the camera and he says, I hate this small ball S. And then, you know, cue the cool opening theme to house of cards which was a great great theme anyway uh you get so out of touch with your district and your and your state your constituents because washington is your your home i mean that's it you're the senator from a place but you're really washington dc all in and that's just the nature of the beast of washington and the nature of being in a congress that has no term limits and a congress that rewards seniority and a congress that ensures that leadership does everything it possibly can to raise money for other candidates. And that's how leadership stays in leadership and the cycle perpetuates itself. I mean, just look at Chuck Schumer, exactly the same thing. I mean, we, we, you know, Chuck Schumer is a Senator from New York state. You have the mayor of New York city, Eric Adams today talking about installing magnetic uh, wands and, you know, magnetometers at migrant shelters. Because they're having so many problems with crime at migrant shelters. And you've got the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, coming out and saying we need to end sanctuary city laws so I can deport these criminals. The governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, is calling the immigration crisis a crisis. Chuck Schumer is more concerned about Ukraine funding. Chuck Schumer said yesterday that his priority is Ukraine because that's something we can have the most bipartisan consensus on. The border will have to wait. The border will have to wait. And we'll get to the border, but the border is going to have to wait. And, you know, we'll get there. You see what I mean? If, if the there were several bad amendments to the Constitution you know, during the Woodrow Wilson era, as you know, the 16th Amendment with income tax, the 17th Amendment, which, of course, is the one that ended the states sending their senators to Washington on their behalf and then change it to the popular vote. And since that time, we've now seen these politicians who run for statewide office and grandstand and all they think about is becoming president and they get into Washington and the power just consumes them and everything else. If Chuck Schumer was really there to do the job of his state, his number one priority right now would be the border because New York City is being overwhelmed with the border crisis. The governor of New York, the mayor of New York, elected officials, you had cops who were beat up by illegal immigrants. I mean, that's what he'd be dealing with. He'd be saying, Ukraine's got to wait. We got to deal with the border situation. We got to deal with, the, with, with what's happening down in Texas. But he's not there for New York. He's there for the Washington swamp. 
to make sure he raises enough money for Democrat candidates so that he can remain Senate majority leader and then he can get more Democrats elected. And that's what the swamp wants. The swamp doesn't give a damn about the border. People living in New York City care about the border. People living in cities care about the border, but they don't care about Ukraine. The swamp cares about Ukraine because that's the defense industrial complex and all the other little various, you know, octopi arms that entrench these guys and grab them and take hold of them. And McConnell, exactly the same thing there. I mean, do you think the average person in Kentucky, think about this now. Do you think the average Kentuckian, just drive down Kentucky, stop at a nice bourbon distillery, because as my friend Tom Massey has told me, who I don't agree with all the time, by the way, Kenny. Got to remind my friend Kenny on Twitter. I don't agree with Tom Massey all the time or on everything. But as my friend Tom Massey has said to me, Congressman Massey, and I do agree with him on this, in order for it to be bourbon, it has to be from Kentucky. I do agree with that. I believe that in my heart and my soul. Ask the average person in Kentucky at a distillery enjoying some fine Kentucky bourbon if they believe the number one priority for the United States of America right now should be Ukraine. Just ask them. This is the problem with the way Washington is, is, is set up. I mean, this is the problem right there in a nutshell. The Senate Majority Leader and the Senate Minority Leader, their priorities are not the priorities of the constituents of their state. They're not the priorities of their states. They're the priorities of the Washington swamp because that's who writes the checks, the checks that they need to dish out so they can remain in leadership. This is the self-fulfilling prophecy. It's why I have said for years we need term limits. I know people think that the voters are the ones who decide on term limits, but it's really not the case (laughs) because, number one, the districts are designed in such a way that they're basically safe for incumbents. And every 10 years when they redraw the maps after the census – Well, the party in power, they sit down with the other party and they work it out so that if they have to lose a seat, they pick the one they like the least to get rid of that person. And they all keep their jobs. And some some ways they wind up with their districts becoming even stronger for them. That's usually how it works out. And the case of the senators, I mean, it's very difficult to defeat an incumbent United States senator because of how much money they're able to raise as a United States senator. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars in their war chest. It's very difficult. So for that reason, you understand how the priorities of the people in their state become so out of line with the priorities of people in Washington. And that is, I think, really a direct one of the major consequences of the 17th Amendment to the Constitution, because that amendment said no longer will the states be sending their senators to Washington. We'll have a popular vote. Of course, there were a number of bad amendments during the Woodrow Wilson era. Woodrow Wilson was the worst president of all time. Before you tell me it's Obama or it's Joe Biden, it's Woodrow Wilson. That man and his legacy did more to change this country than any other president has, and his legacy lives on today, from the League of Nations to the Federal Reserve to the expansive powers of the executive branch, the Alien and Sedition Acts where the government punished speech it didn't like against the war. There was also the 18th Amendment, of course, which was prohibition which banned booze and the worst amendment to the constitution, the 19th amendment, which gave uh, women the right to vote. So, you know, (laughs) there's that. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's not the worst amendment to the constitution. Everybody knows which one that is. It's the 16th, but it's the second worst one. Am I right, Matt DeSantis? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you're on your own this time. (laughs) Fair enough. 855-839-1210. I'm just kidding. Listen, Media Matters of America, I'm just kidding, you jackasses. 
We love broads voting, don't we, Bernie Sanders? We love it. I would have had a sign back then, give the broads the vote. But unfortunately, it was women who led the prohibition. It was women who lar- largely led the prohibition effort, you know, the teetotalers. So I'm just, I'm just saying, just pointing. I, I'm going to stop talking right now. It's probably a good idea to take a break. A little, running a little late. We're going to stop digging, as they say, right? <laughs> when you're in a hole, maybe put the shovel down. Hey, I'll do that real quick. 855-839-1210. Lighten up. You got to laugh. Come on. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. We got a lot to chat about today. A lot. We got Hunter Biden on the Hill. Biden talking tough on crime. But is he really talking tough on crime? And yeah, the DOJ and the CIA, the FBI, they're all weaponized against the American people and against their political enemies. And it's time that it is all exposed. Plus, King Philip the Unaccountable, his royal rugness, Phil Murphy, making dead whale jokes at his budget address yesterday in Trenton. We'll be right back. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast what did he say what did he say what did he say never miss a minute of the zioli show of the zioli show just head to 1210 wpht on the odyssey app and tap earlier today Introduce 
day today it's funny you got people like matthew dowd and others already coming out and saying mitch mcconnell was the adult in the room uh welcome back 855-839-1210 on twitter at rich zioli the big story of the day today is that mitch mcconnell will not be seeking uh another term as the senate minority leader he's stepping down as mcconnell's as, as leader of the um republican party in the senate so that is a big story brought to you by our friend, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Just go see him today for your perfect smile. V-A-N-A-R-I-A, VenariaDental.com. As uh, Eli Lake put it on Twitter, so Biden only got 80% of the vote in the Michigan primary. I guess that means he needs to blame Israel for the war that Hamas started. Otherwise, pro-Hamas voters in Dearborn will stay home. And uncommitted won two delegates yesterday in the Michigan primary. See, when I tell you that the Democrat Party is nuts, it's full of wackos, this is what I'm talking about. These people are so all in on sending a message, this this anti-Israel message, because they think Biden is somehow all in on Israel. I, I don't think he is, but... And uncommitted got two delegates for the Democrat National Convention going into this summer. So... You want to talk about a box of a uh, box of rocks. It's that party. It's not it's just not the Republican Party. I'm sorry. It's not not now. It's just not maybe parties go through phases, but this is the Democrats time and it's their time to confront crazy. And if you don't confront crazy, well, then you're, you could really lose because you just you're out of touch. I mean, this is the bottom line. You are out of touch today. This mayor of Georgia spent more time today trying to justify how. The, the horrific crime that happened against this young woman who simply because this guy who murdered her should have been deported. I mean, the, the suspect should have been deported. Bottom line, should have been deported. And it's sanctuary laws that keep guys like this from being deported. And then, you know, a young woman dies. And that is a damn shame. It's an outrage. It's a crime. It's absolutely something that should have been prevented and could have been prevented. But this mayor of Athens, Georgia, who today got yelled at by his own constituents and the guy is so smug he spends a lot of time just basically yelling back at people mayor of athens georgia but before i get to that let me go to the khakis let's turn to the khakis for some clarity because whenever you're doubting anything in life turn to the khakis by that i mean steve kornacki steve kornacki and msnbc last night was really breaking down how michigan is a landslide for trump and he really exposes also the problems that nikki haley has the, really the problems that Nikki Haley has going forward. And this is the problem, not only for Nikki Haley, but for the establishment. They can't stop Biden. And you have these Michigan voters who sent two uncommitted delegates because uncommitted got more than 10% in the Democrat primary, which as Mr. Michigan pollster Bernie Porn, that's his name. Don't take it up with me. Bernie <laughs> Porn says, unfortunate name. Uh, this is a problem for Biden in the general election. Michigan pollster Bernie Porn 
This is a problem for Biden in the general election. He says the big issue for Biden is to what extent are uncommitted voters, which are being prompted by Arab American news and a variety of Arab leaders, including the mayor of Dearborn, going to be successful in a protest vote against President Biden by voting uncommitted. There are about 70,000 Arab voters who are expected to vote, but not all of them are going to be in the Democrat primary. I'm guessing it'll be in the 5 to 7% range, but it could be as high as 10. And he goes on to say, as far as the outlook for the November election, there are a whole variety of things that are problematic for Biden. The perception of Joe Biden's age is a problem he has to deal with. Unless he can find what Ponce de Leon couldn't find, the fountain of youth, I don't think there's anything he can do about the age problem. 66% think the country is on the wrong track. And any time you have a number like that, it is a problem for the incumbent. In favorability, 38% have a favorable opinion of Joe Biden, while 40% have a favorable opinion of Donald Trump. In our last two polls in November and this one, this is the first time we've had a higher favorability for Donald Trump than Joe Biden. We also asked a number of questions about Donald Trump. If voters think former President Trump committed a crime by urging his supporters to try to overturn the results of the 2020 election, and a bare 50% majority said yes, he did. We also, have to pe- we also asked if people thought he would be convicted of a crime. 46% said yes, 43% said no. Overwhelming belief for yes among Democrats, slightly more saying no among independents, and overwhelmingly no for Republicans. And we asked if he is convicted of a crime before the election, what would happen in terms of a revote? and 44% said they would vote for Biden, 44% said they would still vote for Trump. This is must-win state Michigan we're talking about here. Must-win state Michigan. So here's the, uh, let's, let's go to the khakis, Steve Kornacki, take a listen. Let's get right to it. Our own Steve Kornacki is at the big board. Steve, walk us through it. Uh, yeah, uh, Steffi, well, let's start on the Republican side now. We've just got, uh, in the last couple of minutes, a lot more of the vote. We're up to over 40% statewide. It's been coming in at a trickle, a steady trickle, but we've worked our way up to 41% of the vote. In. And you see Trump right now just over 67%, Haley, and a little bit more there, Haley at about 28% couple ways to look at this result. Obviously, this is a landslide for Trump, but I think from Haley's standpoint, she's indicated clearly that she knows she's not she's likely not getting this Republican nomination. But she made in that South Carolina speech she delivered on Saturday night sort of a centerpiece of her message, the idea that, hey, there's 40 percent of Republicans. That's what it was in New Hampshire, where she got 43 percent of the vote. That's what it was in South Carolina, where she got 40 percent of the vote. There's about 40 percent, she was saying, out there who just don't want to vote for Donald Trump. And they're voting for me. And she wants to keep going because of that. Well, that number she's going to get in South Carolina in uh, Michigan tonight is not 40 percent. And it doesn't look like it's even going to be 30 percent. If you look at all the counties that we have results from so far in Michigan, and that's 65 counties right now, there is only one county in the state where Haley is getting at least 40 percent of the vote. And it's Washtenaw County. University of Michigan, you can see she's getting 43% there. Nearly 90% of the vote is in. Now, Washtenaw County, college county, a lot of college degrees, higher incomes, suburban type county. That's the type of place in South Carolina Haley was doing very well. It's the type of place in New Hampshire she was doing very well. And you can see this is the type of place if she were having a South Carolina slash New Hampshire type night where she was getting 40% statewide, she'd be winning Washtenaw County. We'd be talking about what's Haley's margin here. Instead, she falls short here. And right now, this is her best county in the state. And in her best county in the state, she's not quite at the number she got in New Hampshire. And then meanwhile, in many other parts of the state, we've been focusing in small rural counties, working class populations, large, large concentrations of white voters without college degrees. That's been Trump country in Michigan and elsewhere. And we see there counties, you know, 
Trump is getting 75 percent of the vote, 75 percent of the vote, nearly 80 percent of the vote. And these small, small counties collectively add up. And that's what's powering him now to over 67 percent of the vote. And if you start to play this out, you know, the first counties to come in tonight that make up, I think, a disproportionate share right now of the overall statewide vote are these suburban southeastern Michigan counties. And as the rest of the state fills in, the share of the vote coming from this area is going to decline. And as I just showed you, that's Haley's actually best area tonight. So I think what that adds up to is as this vote comes in statewide, this Trump number could climb and this Haley number could fall further. It's not impossible. We'll be looking at the end of the night at Donald Trump hitting 70 percent in Michigan and Haley falling all the way down from 25 Obviously, that would be a far cry from the 40 and 43 percent she was previously getting. And the rules in Michigan, pretty much the same as they were in South Carolina. There is no party registration in Michigan. No such thing as registering as a Republican, a Democrat, an independent. Anybody could come and vote in this primary today. That was the same in South Carolina. But Haley is not getting those numbers she got in the first two contests that she made the centerpiece of her message. It's not good. It's not good. But it also shows you the enthusiasm factor that's there for Trump, which just keeps increasing. As this keeps going on, here's a clip, and I, I'm, I'm hoping we can find the uh, the identity of this gentleman. I sent it to you earlier today, Matt. This um, Democrat activist, who's I'm assuming a black pastor, uh, Benny Thompson, tweeted this out earlier, and he's really turned on the Democrat Party and talking about how the Democrat Party has let black people down in this country. And I love what he says here. The clip's a little bit long, but I think it's worth it. I really do. I think it's worth hearing, and I. You know, if this if this sentiment carries in a lot of places, it spells real problems for Joe Biden. It really does. Take a listen. You know, black people used to be Republicans until right after the Great Depression. I think we've, we've ridden this donkey as far as I can take this. Okay, it's pretty, it's, it's dead. I'm ready to get on a great big old African elephant. Right? We have to remember who Joe Biden is. This is a guy who was uh, mentored by Senator Byrd and People like Strom Thurmond, the card-carrying members of the Ku Klux Klan. So, you know, she represents uh, Republican 2.0. What she's talking about for us is a new emancipation, socially, politically, economically. It's it's Emancipation 2.0. And we have a real opportunity, not only with her candidacy, but with President Trump, to uh, start again in this country and recognizing where we've been. Look, I'm not telling any of you who are Democrats to rip up your voter registration card. Okay, Maxine Waters, Auntie Maxine, imagine if she was really your auntie. She's really my auntie. What I'm saying is this. After all of those years of dealing with failed policies, how many more, how, how many more lives, how much more time how many more generations are we going to sacrifice at the altar of Democrat politics when they treat us as a political afterthought? An afterthought. It's time for us to make a positive choice in our own best interest and vote for the candidates who are in our own best interest. And if they are Republicans, then so be it. When uh, white America, working class, and black America, working class, decides to work together, there's no demographic that can stop us. What other sign from God do you need than to see the predominantly white Republican Party uh, moaning, groaning with us about the likes of the FBI and the CIA? We're talking about 
God's timing, right? Uh, doesn't he have a way of making strange bedfellows? He has a way of drawing us together in perilous times to stand together, work together, fight together, vote together, lead this country together. Because those uh, people who are inclined to its destruction are our common Our common I think that's a um, well well said. Biden's problems in Michigan go way beyond, though, just simply about Israel and Gaza. Young voters say their discontent goes deeper than that. And Biden's problems are also happening in college towns. That's where Uncommitted did very, very well. I'll break it down for you. But listen, first, I want to tell you, you know, spring is coming. It's going to be here really soon. Don't you want that beautiful, thick, green, lush lawn that everybody in your neighborhood is going to be? Wow. I mean, the envy of your neighborhood. Use my lawn care company, Natural Lawn of America. Greener grass, fewer weeds, guaranteed. The safer alternative for your lawn, for your family, and for your pets. See, what makes Natural Lawn of America so unique is that they understand the needs of your lawn. Their technicians assess what your lawn needs because your lawn's different than everybody else's. People make the mistake of thinking it's just, you know, one size fits all. It's not. And that's what Natural Lawn of America has been doing for decades. And that's why they're so good at what they do. That's why you're going to have that beautiful, thick, lush, green lawn that everybody always wants. And you're going to have it in a much safer way for your family and your pets. And here's the best part. When you call Natural Lawn of America, they're going to seed your lawn every year for free. That's right. But you got to take advantage of this limited time offer by calling now. 1-800-FREE-SEED. 1-800-FREE-SEED. The seeding of your lawn every year really goes a long way to giving it that, that fullness that you really crave and the health of the lawn too. And that's what Natural Lawn of America will do for you, just like it did for me at my old house. And I'm excited about the fact that soon they're going to come and start treatments at our new house. Natural Lawn of America. Greener grass, fewer weeds guaranteed. Call them today. Get the free seeding, limited time offer. 1-800-FREE-SEED. It's the Rich Zioli Show, live from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. chat about welcome back to the show glad you're here today 855-839-1210 on twitter at rich zioli thank you for being part of the show today we appreciate it very very much we are going to talk about a number of the different issues including um something that might actually be uniting republicans and democrats if you can believe it an issue to stop something that the Biden administration is trying to push through a new policy plus we're going to get a breakdown of king philip the unaccountable's 
A uh, budget addressed in New Jersey yesterday. He made a very crass dead whale joke because, you know, dead whale jokes are funny, obviously. But let me touch on this point, though. Biden's problems in Michigan go well beyond just simply Israel and, and, and Gaza. It goes way beyond that. New York Times story says if you're a Democratic incumbent running for reelection, young voters are an essential part of your coalition. And they cite this independent pollster who points this out. And when you look at the breakdown of who voted for the uncommitted, which is a movement that only spent $200,000 and only began a couple weeks ago and got two delegates yesterday in Michigan, uncommitted, the Democrats now, uncommitted won Dearborn and Hamtrak. It also won 19% in Ann Arbor and 15% in East Lansing, which are both big college towns. Biden has problems with young voters. Interviews with more than two dozen students across the state indicated a deeper well of dissatisfaction, not just with the incumbent president, but with the prospect of once again having to choose between two candidates, Mr. Biden and former President Donald Trump. It's been a tense atmosphere on campus, said the co-chairman of the College Democrats, <coughs> excuse me, at the University of Michigan. <coughs> Pardon me. A lot of people, if they're not upset with what's going on with the administration's handling of the conflict, they're turned off from politics because they don't want to get engaged in it. National polls have for months reflected a similar sentiment. Voters under 30 who backed Mr. Biden by more than 20 points in 2020 are unenthusiastic about a rematch between Biden and Trump. And it's Israel. Yep, that that is definitely a big issue driving these young these young people, the foreign policy issues. Absolutely. But it's not just that, too. They don't think he's going far enough on climate change, if you can believe that. They don't think he's going far enough on passing student loan forgiveness. They don't think he's going far enough on backing abortion access. I mean, how freaking nuts are these people if they don't think Biden's going far enough on those things? I think Biden's extreme on all those issues. But this is this is the problem. And so with with these young people, it's very possible they may just stay home. You know, they may just stay home and not go out and vote because their hatred of Donald Trump, as much as it might be palpable, may not be enough to motivate them to get out there. Biden's got problems within the black community, within the brown communities, the media calls it, with young voters. He's got some problems, no question about it. And that's why I think Trump is on track to win this thing. I really do. 855-839-1210 on Twitter, at Rich Zioli, if you want to weigh in. All right, we got a lot to chat about. I do want to tell you, though, you know, like with all things on this program, we're very, very grateful to our wonderful sponsors, Emmons Roofing and Siding, Emmons Remodeling. How about a new bathroom in one day? That's right. You heard me. One day. My friends at Emmons can come in, remodel your bathroom in as little as one day with minimal disruption. It's amazing. And they also do kitchen remodeling as well. And we use them for both in our previous home. They did our bathroom and kitchen. They remodeled it. My wife was thrilled. Happy wife, happy life. And also, Emmons does, of course, roofing, siding, windows, and doors. They are the experts at all these things. If you have a shore house, get that roof inspected now because minor winter leaks now can lead to big, expensive repairs when the warm winter comes, warm weather comes very, very soon. So reach out to the team at Emmons. They serve Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and the Jersey Shore. Matt and his wife, Stephanie, are dedicated to your customer satisfaction, and they're going to make sure that you're happy. 
So go to EmmonsRemodeling.com today or visit the Emmons Remodeling Showroom in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Remember, you get a lifetime warranty on that roof. They stand by their work, and you can trust that they will make sure you are satisfied with the job every step of the way. EmmonsRoofing.com, EmmonsRemodeling.com. Trust the team at Emmons. By the way, breaking news in the Trump New York civil fraud case. There is a development on that regarding the payment that the former president is supposed to make in order to post bail or post an appeal, excuse me. I'll give you that update straight ahead. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. Oh, it's a bummer. I just heard about comedian Richard Lewis dying. He made me laugh. He was great. That's a shame. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. Thank you for being here. Kareen Jean-Pierre, the White House fembot a few moments ago, said, uh, Joe Biden does not need a cognitive test. That's the assessment of the president's doctor and neurologist. Uh, We will uh, see if we agree with what she said. I think Biden's got some major political problems. I really do. Let me share a a tweet here as we start our four o'clock hour from my buddy, the greater Chris, who uh, I do love, even though I bust his chops. But again, you only you only bust chops with the people that you like. That's the bottom line. Right. You only bust chops with the people you like in life. That's the rule. But he said, um, Rich just mentioned enthusiasm for Trump, and I had a deja vu moment when he was talking about 2020 when Biden couldn't match the enthusiasm of Trump voters. The cynical side of me believes Biden wins in November despite all the conventional indicators leaning Trump. Look, I understand the cynicism, and I am in no way, shape, or form going to act like this thing's a done deal. I believe that if the election were held tomorrow, Trump would win. I also believe that it's a lifetime away until November. I also don't think Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. And they also think that a million things can happen between now and then. But the trends are all looking very favorable for Trump. And I think there's a couple of distinctions between 2020. Number one is that COVID, I mean, quite frankly, COVID was the issue. Let's just remember where we were in November of 2020. We were back to lockdowns again. I remember we were going to have my parents over for Thanksgiving. Now, my dad has a lot of health issues, as you know, related to Ground Zero, related to his work at Ground Zero, where he spent months doing, it was part of the recovery effort, going into the pit every day. And Christy Whitman said the air was fine to breathe, but so many of those first responders and recovery team dealing with health issues, many of them have died from those health issues. So we also had a baby. You know, Reagan was born in April, April 16th of 2020, our little COVID baby, bio baby surprise. And we were extra careful. And I don't regret being extra careful. I think we did the right thing to protect my dad. Um, I think we did the right thing to protect the baby. We didn't know. We didn't know a lot back then. But if you remember November, I mean, we were going to have Thanksgiving, but we decided to just not do it because there was a, you know, an uptick in cases again and people were getting nervous. And it was a different world back then. The mail-in voting thing, the nonsense the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did – I know that there's cheating with Democrats. Of course, we know that. I've been in politics way too long to tell you that cheating is not real because cheating is 100% real. Absolutely, it is. And Biden was the kind old man in the basement who's going to keep us safe from COVID and safe from mean tweets. 
And they can't play that game now. They can't play that game anymore. And I think there's a lot of buyer's remorse. A lot of people who might have said, I want to give Biden a try because I don't like Trump's tweets or I don't like the chaos. And it was the chaos of the of the situation of the country. The country was in chaos because of COVID. I think that that led to people voting for Biden, who I think now are going to change their vote. If you think back to the Super Bowl of 2024, okay, I'm sorry, 2020, Super Bowl 2020, Donald Trump ran a Super Bowl commercial. Do you remember that? He ran a Super Bowl commercial. That's something that presidential candidates normally don't do. But it was his Morning in America commercial, and it was great. It was a great spot. He was on top of the world for re-election. I mean, every indicator was looking really good for him. And then a few weeks later, COVID came because somebody had the audacity to eat an undercooked bat burger with a side of pangolin fries and a raccoon dog aioli. And that changed everything, changed the course of so much. And the mail-in balloting scam that Democrats were able to take advantage of, that Republicans need to do a much better job of dealing with now going to this election, they were just a lot of different variables. But in February of 2020, everybody thought Trump was going to get reelected. They really did. I mean, they, it, it was his, his numbers look great. The trajectory looked great. You, you, you don't spend $6 million on a Super Bowl commercial unless you're pretty confident. The indicators were all great. And then COVID happened. I don't know what I don't know, obviously. I can't know what the future is going to bring, but I'm just looking at the trends right now, the way things are going. And they're all moving in Trump's direction in a big way, and they are terrible for Joe Biden. The trends for Biden are awful. They're awful. They're the kind of trends you can't recover from. Look, I tell you all the time, people lie to pollsters, but they don't lie about their opinions on things. They might lie about who they're voting for, but when you ask a voter... Do you think the country's on the right track, wrong track? And, and historically speaking, in all the years I've been in politics, which I've been in politics since I was in middle school, I had my first internship with Congress, with then Assemblyman Scott Garrett when I was in, I was in, in middle school. And everything about right track, wrong track, when the country's on the wrong track, when voters feel the country's on the wrong track, the incumbent loses. You, you just can't come back from that. There's no way to reorient that. That's the problem. Now, I think the Democrats are going to try some funny business. I do. I think they're going to swap Biden out. I'd be shocked if Biden is a candidate in the fall. I Can I predict that with certainty? Of course not. How could I? I'm not freaking Kreskin here, but I just, I my gut tells me that this is, you, you, the, the trends are so bad for him, you just can't fix it. You just can't undo the damage that's been done here. And we're getting, it's getting worse. And, to add to that, in addition to people thinking the country's on the wrong track, they think Biden's brain is on the wrong track. Hell, they don't even think Biden's brain is on a track at this point. They think it's just sort of, you know, rattling around in a jar somewhere like marbles. Here's the White House fembot Karine Jean-Pierre today after Biden met with his doctor. Shocking. He doesn't need a cognitive test. Take a listen. To, uh, you were asking me about a cognitive test. As it relates to that, look, um, you know, the president doesn't need a cognitive test. That is not my assessment. That is not my assessment. That is the assessment of the president's doctor. Uh, that is also the assessment of the neurologist, uh, who has also made that assessment as well. And, you know, and you've heard us say this, and I'll reiterate this, the president's doctor has said, if you look at what this president, the president who is also the commander in chief, he passes a cognitive test every day, every day, as he moves from one topic to another topic, 
understanding the granular level of these topics. You saw him talk about uh, fighting crime today. Tomorrow he's going to go to the border. Next week he's going to give a State of the Union address. And so we have to keep that in mind. Uh, this is a very rigorous job. Uh, and uh, the president has been able to do, do this job every day for the past three years. To oh, please. What this is, you know, the, this is the equivalent of you go to a doctor and you tell a doctor, listen, here's the deal. I need uh, this particular drug for whatever it is. And the doctor says no. And then you go, all right, I'm going to go to a different doctor who's going to prescribe me what what I want. You know what I mean? Like you go to a doctor, you go, I got back pain all the time and I want a I want a painkiller. Doctor says, I'm not prescribing it for you. All right, I'll find a doctor who will. Or I'll go online and find a doctor who will. Of course, the president's doctor is going to say he doesn't need a cognitive test or he wouldn't be the president's doctor. Please. My doctor has ensured me I do not need blue chew. That's why he's my doctor. <clears throat> Just going to let that <laughs> sit out there for a minute. Let that rise to the occasion. Um, Matt DeSantis, let me ask you this question right now. When you look at these numbers out of Michigan, because I know you're a numbers guy and you love to process this stuff, the trends for Biden, they look pretty bad, do they not? Yeah, I would say. I mean, to lose delegates to uncommitted, a campaign that started two weeks ago, and the leader of which is um, Rashida Tlaib, who I'm pretty sure everyone just dismisses as a crazy person at this point, that's pretty embarrassing. And they're saying it could impact um future primaries as well it may not just go away after michigan hmm not good that's not good i wouldn't want to be in that position if i were joe biden i wouldn't want to be in that position if i were the democrats right now i wonder if that's why guys like david axelrod and james carville are sounding so many freaking alarm bells you gotta wonder uh let me play this clip for you speaking of all of the um the stuff that everybody's dealing with right now they're trying to make the, Demo the Republican Party out to be the crazy party. We're not. I'm telling you right now, the Republicans are not. And this is the big story of the day brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile, VenariaDental.com. I'll ask the question one more time, Matt DeSantis. When we were at CPAC together, we got there Wednesday. You had to go back to Philly because we had some equipment issues. I, of course, went down to the bar where I proceeded to buy Michael Pelka, one of the most expensive, <laughs> beautiful bourbons you can possibly buy, Blanton's, after he bought me the Railhouse liquor that came in a plastic bottle. Um, I stayed at CPAC and hung around. I was there Wednesday. I was there Thursday. I was there Friday. I was there Saturday. I didn't see any Nazis. Did you see any Nazis walking around? <laughs> no, not once. Can I say, I know what the, the Nazi reference is, though. There was mm -hmm. a, an article written by the New York Times. That I, I think I, I can't find it now. It's from uh, it's a few days old at this point. But there was a member of the far, far right who I guess has been associated with anti-Semitism, who apparently attended the conference, but didn't actually attend the conference. They were simply at the hotel and even stated that they don't agree with CPAC's message. And they were basically just I believe the quote was people watching. Um, well, the Times latched onto that. I'm pretty sure it was the Times. It may have been the Post, one or the other. Um, and I'm almost certain that's where they're getting this Nazi narrative from. There was no, no actual like Nazi or far-right lunatic at CPAC. There was simply one at the hotel who uh, explicitly said that they don't agree with CPAC's message and just watched from a bar, basically. 
Now, the hotel, the Gaylord Conference Center, <laughs> Gaylord, it's a huge resort in, in Maryland. It's in a, a, a fake town. I mean, literally, it's a Fugazi town. It's like what, one of those Wild West towns. Nothing opens till 4 o'clock. It's all there to serve whatever convention's going on. There's a Ferris wheel. It's a fake town. Nobody lives there. And National Harbor, Maryland, as it's called, the Gaylord is a huge hotel. It's massive. There's, I think, what did I, I counted like 142 elevators. I couldn't figure out how to get to my room. <laughs> yeah, you have to take an elevator that specifically for your section of the hotel. Uh, it's, it was a little confusing. Yeah, I would get off the elevator and have to walk a mile and a half to my room. I mean, that's how bad. That's how big the hotel was. Some hotels took you down to only the second floor. Some took you down to, to only the atrium. It was it was huge. And in the middle of the show, if I wanted to go grab a cup of coffee, I had to go down like three escalators and two elevators. And you know, it was a, it's a massive place. So this guy who was there did not support CPAC because CPAC passed a resolution in support of Israel, and CPAC has been very openly in in support of their stance for Israel. This guy was not happy with that. He was not a delegate. He didn't speak at CPAC. There were no anti-Semitic or Nazi speakers at CPAC. There was no conference like, you know, reigniting the Reich or anything like that. That did not happen. Nobody was goose-stepping. Nobody was zekiling. There was none of that at CPAC. And had there been, I would have left. We all would have left because it's not who we are. But nevertheless, the New York Times, to your point, latched on some some extremist jackass at a bar. And by the way, the hotel is open to the public. So it's not like you can you can turn people away. And the bar was packed with people. And a lot of the people who were there were not actually even attending CPAC because you have to pay to go to CPAC. So some people just went to go kind of people watch and be part of it. And I saw some friends from D.C. that I haven't seen in years. A couple of my friends who were there were not they didn't actually pay to come. They just came literally to do the networking that happens at the end of the day after all the speeches are done and everybody heads to the bar because the one constant in politics is people love to drink. I'm telling you, (laughs) they do. And the bars were, and there were several of them, they were all packed to the brim. Am I right, Matt? Well, you didn't drink. They didn't have Zima, so you didn't stick around (laughs) for that, but... But nevertheless, you know, Michigan is a, is a sign that the Democrat Party is, an, is, is has got a crazy people problem. It's got a crazy people problem. And in order to try to counter that crazy people problem, where you literally have now people voting uncommitted against Joe Biden because of his support of Israel, they're trying to suggest that the Republican Party is extremist. Josh Shapiro, the governor of Pennsylvania, pulled this stunt the other day when he came out exposing his Democrat hackiness and saying that the Republican Party is the party of extremists. And it's like, dude, you're, you're, it's your party that has people like Rashida Tlaib in it and Ilan Omar, not, not, not the Republican Party. So that vile human being, Rick Wilson, goes on TV on MSNBC and sits down with, I think, the most racist person on television, Joy, Joy uh, Reid, among other people, and proceeds to say that there were Nazis at CPAC. It's an absolute lie. Take a listen. There's a problem with this. My grandmother used to call it the turd in the punch bowl. Mm. Once you have a turd in the punch bowl, it's not punch anymore. Once you have one Nazi in the door, mm-hmm. you're not a conservative organization anymore. You're a pro-Nazi organization. And the fact that these people were there on the floor, perfectly comfortable, the fact that these people are circulating there now, because they are all part of a philosophy that Steve Bannon infected the GOP with called no enemies to my right. Right. Which is why they were fine with Charlottesville at a certain level, which is why they're fine with these people. They look at these people as their shock troops, as their as their best guys, as the people that are going to go out there and metaphorically or literally swing at their enemies. There were no Nazis at CPAC, you moron. 
there were no Nazis. There might have been a cosplay extremist neo-Nazi guy sitting at the bar. That's not Nazis at CPAC. It's unbelievable. That's but this is the... Lie. Oh, it's Which total annoying. lie. And just to reiterate, the Times found one person who was not an invited speaker, was not an attendee, and explicitly said they disagreed with CPAC's messaging, and then associated that individual with CPAC. That's outrageous. It's I mean, stupid. that's like saying that you're having the real estate convention at a casino in Atlantic City and somebody is there who believes that nobody should ever own homes and therefore that the entire real estate convention was dedicated to ending American home ownership because somebody playing blackjack doesn't believe that. You know what I mean? That's ridiculous. And it's insulting because I don't want to be associated with Nazis, obviously. I hate Nazis, particularly Illinois Nazis. Blues Brothers? Nobody? Nothing? Uh, I never saw it. Oh, how could you have never seen Blues Brothers? I don't know. I've not gotten around to it. What is wrong with you? <laughs> well, I didn't want to admit that I had never seen it, so I just kept so quiet. You just, ignored, you just ignored the reference? I didn't understand the reference. So in, in the car, Jake, they're driving in the car, and the Illinois Nazis are marching, and they get to the bridge, and the, co- and the cop says those, those guys won their court case. That was the Supreme Court case where they said in Skokie, Illinois, the, not, the Nazis, and they weren't really Nazis, I mean, but they had the right to march. Which, of course, they do under the First Amendment. I'm not doubting that. The Supreme Court was correct in their ruling on that. But the, the Blues Brothers look at each, each other and say, Nazis, uh, Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. And then they floor it and they go and they knock all the Nazis off the bridge into the water. And they all have to jump off the bridge into the, into the, lit, the stream underneath. Oh, it's a great scene. Blues Brothers. It's fantastic. Anyway, and I'm also like uh, Indiana Jones in that sense, too. I hate Nazis. But yes, Nazis are, to Pat Carr's point, they are far left, not far right. They are the National Socialist Party. I I feel like that gets lost in history sometimes. The National Socialist Party is the actual name of the party. But this is an old, you know, thing they've been trying to do for years to associate Trump with Hitler. And it's boring. And quite frankly, it didn't work in 2016. And it's not going to work now. And it's just dumb. They're just they're, they're clutching at straws to try to redefine the narrative here because the Democrat Party has a crazy person problem. You know, James Carville said years ago, the Democrat Party has become the party of the faculty lounge and the coastal elites. That's James Carville saying that. And he also said in his polling group did the analysis, and I shared that with you probably a month ago, the grim reality, that political memo that they put out where they asked voters who are largely voters that lean to the Democrat side, which party is the party of extremism? And they said the Democrat Party. So it's a problem. They've got a crazy person problem. And um, here is um, this is a clip of Van Jones right now talking about Michigan and the problems that Joe Biden has. And he's got a very short time to get those groups back on board. Take a listen. Okay, Junior is looking to get on the ballot next. That's where they're focusing. And Michigan, of course, has those primaries tonight. What are you looking at to gauge Biden's strength there? And obviously that was, a, as John King said, as far as a swing state goes, very comfortable victory for Biden last time around. Uh, but uh, David Oxford was saying last night, uh, it appears it will be much closer this time. Sure. I mean, uh, Michigan's going to be tougher uh, because you got a bunch of constituencies that we need that right now are grumpy, uh, to say the least. Uh, the big Muslim uh, community there uh, in, in Michigan, they are not happy with the way that Joe Biden has been handling the situation in Gaza. And right. you also have a lot of young people of color, especially African-Americans and some African-American men that are just frustrated in general. Uh, with the state of things. Um, and so you've got to, you've got a very short period of time 
to get those two groups back on board. Don't forget, uh, Donald Trump has won in Michigan before. He won in Michigan in 2016. Uh, he lost uh, Michigan in 2020. Uh, 2024, it is possible that he could win again. So, uh, you know, I, my thing with RFK is, again, uh, he's going to the places that are the swing states uh, that are going to be the margins of, of victory uh, for either candidate. Um, and that is, it's, but his math right now, he is not on track to be in enough states to actually win the presidency. He's just on track to be in enough states to cost uh, Joe Biden the presidency. Mm, well, that's kind of the same thing. Anyway, um, if Joe Biden's not president and RFK costs him the presidency, then that's a problem because that means that Joe Biden can't win the presidency. Uh, let's not make it about RFK here. That means that people are unhappy with Joe Biden. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Listen, when it comes to your family's health care, Cooper University Healthcare is South Jersey's leading academic health system for a reason. They are committed, compassionate, complete. For all your family's health care needs, trust Cooper. We do. The Zioli family does. I mentioned baby Reagan being born during COVID. She was born at Cooper Hospital. And last summer, I had my surgery at Cooper, uh, Cooper Hospital, Cooper Surgical Care. Whether it's the MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper, where they're doing amazing work on cancer, saving people's lives, giving them their life back, cutting-edge research, the Cooper Neurological Institute, with more than 75 specialties, there is a specialist for you and your family. Plus, Cooper Primary Care, Cooper Pediatric Care, and Cooper Urgent Care. If you or your family need any urgent care, you will be seen by the very same providers who are on the front lines at Cooper Hospital, which is a level one trauma center. So you're going to see the best of the best for all of your family's everyday urgent care needs. For an appointment, reach out to Cooper by calling 1-800-8-COOPER or go to cooperhealth.org. Trust the team at Cooper, South Jersey's leading academic health system, expanding every day. Beautiful new facility by the Morristown Mall, too. Absolutely gorgeous. Great doctors, great providers, great nurses, great people. CooperHealth.org, CooperHealth.org. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models like the tech-filled tucson and kona as well as the spacious palisade enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with america's best warranty and three years or thirty-six thousand miles of complimentary maintenance but hurry in these deals won't last add more joy to your journey at the hyundai getaway sales event now get zero percent apr or up to 1500 bonus cash on the hyundai tucson now during the hyundai getaway sales event Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Calling on North Wales to follow 1210 WPHT on the free Odyssey app. Download it now. 
Sean, excellent work. Well done. 855-839-1210. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. In a second, we're going to talk about an intellectual property issue that I think you'll be very interested in. We're also monitoring Capitol Hill as Hunter Biden is uh, testifying today. We'll bring you any breaking news around that. And the other breaking news of the day is, and there's a lot of it today, not only Mitch McConnell announcing that he's going to step down as Senate majority or minority leader, excuse me. Um, Trump has told the New York appeals court that he cannot post the full bond. Um, crazy how in order to appeal, you have to pay the bond. You have to pay the, the, the fine essentially right now. It's um, egregious, the, the penalty, which I think is a violation of the Eighth Amendment. There's a prohibition on excessive fines especially in the, in the matter of keeping somebody from being able to post bail. And this is something we've talked about with criminal justice reform in the past uh, in general. So we'll get more on that in a moment for you. But let's turn to an issue regarding intellectual property. And um, let's turn to David Kapos. David Kapos is joining me now. He was actually in the Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and the Director of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office under President Barack Obama. David, thank you for joining me in Philadelphia. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hi, Rich. How's it going? It's going okay. Um, I was excited to have you on because I don't normally have a lot of many former Obama administration officials on the show, but this is an issue where you seem to have a lot of bipartisan consensus, and it's a very important issue. So I'm glad you made the time today to talk about it. And give us the overview of of, uh, what's at stake here. Yeah. So here's what's at stake. We've got a a law called the Bayh-Dole Act, which goes back to the 1980s, bipartisan in nature, right? Birch Bayh and Bob Dole, Republican and Democrat. Um, it's been transformative to our country's um, innovation landscape. It's been heralded as perhaps the most important commercial legislation of the entire 20th century. It revolutionized tech transfer um, from government-funded research, enabling literally trillions of dollars of value creation in the U.S. And, and millions of jobs. So it's the classic example, Rich, of it ain't broke, don't fix it. In fact, it's, it's so far from being broke, it's working near perfectly. Many other countries have actually copied the law since it was so successful here. So in the face of all of that, the administration suddenly comes out with a proposal to turn the Bayh-Dole Act on its head, essentially repealing it um, administratively, I would tell you, by putting in place a new regime which will cause um, federal bureaucrats to oversee pricing, if you can believe it, pricing of products that are funded by government, even a tiny bit funded by government research. So it's, it's, um, it's a very big deal. Um, university presidents 
writing in, not just tech transfer offices, but presidents and chancellors of universities writing into the government saying, don't do this, you're going to ruin our educational system, you're going to ruin our research system, you're going to ruin our tech transfer system that leads the world. And they're trying to do this by executive fiat. This is not something that, con- I mean, this is a law, a bipartisan law passed by Congress, but they're trying to do this by executive fiat, correct? That's exactly right. Yeah, in fact, a number of, of uh, members of Congress, I believe senators and uh, representatives, bipartisan again, have written a letter to the administration saying, wait a minute, um, this is Congress domain. You can't just re- effectively repeal legislation um, out of the administration. And what what is behind the administration's impetus in doing this? Well, the stated goal is a laudable one. Um, it's to lower drug prices. And, you know, we all want drugs to be available um, widely. That's the stated goal. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Rich, the the proposal itself goes to all government-funded research and development. And, in fact, in, in the proposed rule, most of the impact on the face of the proposed rule would would be felt far beyond um, life sciences and, and drugs. So the stated goal does not align at all with the actual rule that's being proposed. And what really, again, frustrates me about this, again, is, you know, here you have a, a law that's on the books. You have a law that Congress is not looking to change. You have something that the administration is looking to change. You have all these different colleges who have come out and put statements on this. You've, you have a number of different groups that have come out. For example, um, the intellectual property academics, the statement they said, they said, Senators By and Dole made clear that the inclusion of reasonable price as a criterion authorizing the march in power is unconnected to the text or purpose of their statute. The proposed guidance framework is an unprecedented assertion of agency power to control prices in private market transactions without a legal basis. And that's a number of very distinguished people who've signed on to that. Explain what we're talking about when we say march in power. Yeah. So what that means is, um, that the government gets to march in, if you will, or step in and relicense a patent that's owned by a private party. So, I mean, you could think of a patent like any other property, your car, your, um, uh, you know, anything that you own, even, even real property, your apartment, your home. And um, this administrative proposal is giving the government the authority to step in and give someone else access to property, in this case, patent property, that's owned by a private party, a, uh, a university, um, a research lab, a small growing company. See, that's really troubling because uh, the, the, the right to intellectual property, patent property, ownership of that is vital to innovation. And people spend a lot of time, money, uh, sweat and tears to come up with these ideas and innovations. And then they patent them for the protection. They're supposed to have the intellectual property rights to that and then for the government to just come along and say ah you don't you don't have that protection anymore we're, we're taking this away for the greater good i mean that's terrifying and also could have real ramifications on incentivizing people to come up with new innovations yeah rich it will have and is already beginning to have those exact implications i'm already getting questions from companies that are saying you know we're being asked to put up money to fund a company that's going to exploit some government-funded research, 
um, what might happen and could we lose access to the patent that related to that research, that resulted from that research? And the answer is absolutely. Under this proposal, um, you should count that as a very significant risk. And companies, as a result, are walking away um, and, and investors, private equity, and venture capital is already walking away from making investments um, in uh, in companies that are uh, that are based on federally funded research. Now, David Kapos, you, you were the Undersecretary of Commerce in the Obama administration. So I imagine you, you have a lot of pull still within the Democrat Party. And I know this is a bipartisan issue. So have you reached out to the White House? Have you expressed these concerns to the White House? And, and, and what are they saying? Yeah, I have. I've participated in at least one, and it might even be two at this point. I don't remember. Um, letters, the one that I most vividly remember was signed by a number of former officials, including former Obama administration officials and and Republican administration officials, PTO directors, NIST directors, and others, all saying, hey, this is a really bad idea. We're all in favor of reasonable drug prices, and we get that. We want people to have access to drugs, um, and we want federally funded research to inure to the benefit of the public. But the way to do it is the Bayh-Dole Act, not to um, have this march and ride under the Bayh-Dole Act. So we've sent um, that letter, you know, very vividly to the administration. I haven't heard anything back as to, you know, whether they're considering it. And if they were to do this again by executive fiat, not overturning the law that was passed by Congress, which is, I mean, I, I could do a whole show just on that because it infuriates me that they that they can get away with that. How does that process work? Is this a rule that's promulgated by the Commerce Department? Yes. Yeah, it's a rule. Uh, I mean, right now they're calling it guidelines. So, you know, um, Rich, if you're concerned about like the Administration Administrative Procedures Act and violations of that, I'm not even sure this, you know, gets on the APA radar screen per se. Uh, but it, but it clearly, in my view, is um, an egregious overreach, a land grab by the administration that flaunts um, a law passed by Congress. I, I think what will happen, even if the, um, uh, the the current discussion about um, you know repealing the um, uh, you know parts of uh, of the courts overseeing federal agency regulation, even if that um, doesn't uh, get hammered by the Supreme Court, as we think it, it currently probably will, um, I think what you're going to see is a challenge to this um, uh, Commerce Department NIST uh, set of guidelines. And, um, and I think the courts are going to be very, uh, very um, interested in seeing that challenge since it is such a big overreach. Well, it's basically theft by the government. I mean, if people, I understand there's government funding used in the research, but still people coming up with the patents for these in, inventions and drugs and everything else. If the government just comes around and, and, and seizes that, I mean, that, that's a seizure. I mean, in my, my opinion, that's a violation of the, of, of the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution as well. Well, right. And remember, the, the patent um, right is also constitutionally guaranteed, right? Article 1, Section 7, Clause 7, I believe, um, that, that, ought, that in the Constitution, the original Constitution that authorizes Congress to pass laws to protect inventions, and Congress did that way back in 1793. That basic law is still the one that governs us today. And now you're going to have, um, you know, government 
bureaucrats reaching in and saying, I don't like the price that you set for this product that received some tiny amount of federal funding that went into a, the patent that protects it. And so we're going to like relicense the patent to some other company, maybe a Chinese company that's told us they can um, provide this product less expensively than you did, having spent all the money to uh, put the R&D in play. It's crazy. And, you know, there was a there was a um, uh, an op ed recently in the morning call to affecting Pennsylvania, too. And a lot of our listeners know about this because they said Pennsylvania, for example, has been a hub of scientific and medical advancement. And this would absolutely threaten that. I mean, it would it, it could potentially destroy that. It could destroy the innovation and, and, and destroy property rights. And you just made a great point, David, about China. I mean, my God, you know, to take away a patent for something that somebody has worked hard, that, that like hardworking Pennsylvanians have created research technology, and then give that away to a foreign country. I mean, that's just insane. Why would anybody support that idea? Yeah, it is crazy. In fact, I believe Penn is one of the prominent universities at the either the chancellor or the president level that's written in to the administration. Many universities, right, including great ones from Pennsylvania, have written in, and not at the tech transfer level, but at the president or the chancellor level, saying to the administration, don't do this. You will destroy our university. You will destroy our ability to conduct research. You will hurt us differentially. And and what I also read was members of the World Trade Organization want this waiver to remove intellectual property protections from all therapeutics and diagnostics developed in response to COVID, but also any other future pandemics or anything else. They they really want the the ability now to just take away ownership uh, to apply for the for the greater good. But I mean to create these scientific discoveries causes, I mean, the investment, the amount of sweat and tears that I mentioned, the amount of money that's involved, the amount of just pure innovation that's involved here in all of this. And then to have an international organization take that away, to just strip away those rights, to have the United States government do that, patents, copyrights, trademarks, all these things, intellectual property rights. I mean, it's the very heart of of, of, of America to, to own the rights to what you create, to own the, the rights to what you have produced with your blood, sweat, and tears and your innovation. And that is something that has to be protected here. I mean, this is a massive seizure of intellectual wealth, as I would call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right, Rich. It's, it's the heart of our innovation engine. It's the heart of U.S. job creation, of creativity, of global leadership, national defense, Um, You name it, right? Artificial intelligence, 5G, 6G, quantum computing, on and on and on. All of these areas um, are threatened from the top down. And I'm sure our economic rivals overseas, um, some of whom are members of the WTO and would love to get American innovation for free, right? Why why pay for something when you think you can get it for free? That's what they're asking for. Uh, They all would love um, uh, to have this, sure. Yeah, amazing. David, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your advocacy on this issue. It's an incredibly important one, and not enough people are talking about it, so I'm glad we can help get it out there. It's very important. David Capos, Undersecretary of Commerce for Intellectual Property and Director of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office under President Barack Obama. David, where can people reach out to you or learn more about the issue? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, Rich, for taking this issue up. It is so important. Um, where they can reach us, I would uh, suggest people just simply go to 
the website of the Council for Innovation Promotion, which is a nonprofit that I co-chair. It's called C4IP.org. And we have the letters that have been sent into the administration. We have lots of information about this by Dole Act seizure, and folks can find it there. Excellent stuff. David, thank you very much. Best of luck with this. You, you have our support in trying to uh, preserve the sanity here and, and intellectual property rights as well. Thank you, my friend. Okay. Thanks, Rich. All right. As we continue along here, there's some breaking news. Hunter Biden will appear in a public hearing. He just came out and said that the testimony today went great. And uh, we'll have lots of reaction to that. Plus the reaction that Donald Trump uh, cannot make the full bond in New York. I've told you, I think that's a violation of the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution. But you know what David just talked about? It's just it infuriates me. The administrative state what we're dealing with now with a with an executive branch of government that thinks it can just absolutely rewrite law through executive action and seize people's intellectual property. It's just outrageous. And of course, it's being pushed by the WEF, the World Economic Forum, the WTO, all the bond villains who want to control all of America's um, sovereignty and, and control all of America's great innovation. It's outrageous. It's infuriating. It really, really is. So I hope that was an eye-opening segment for you. It certainly was for me. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Listen, Natural Lawn of America is going to help you get the beautiful, green, lush lawn that you want this summer. And you'll be the envy of your neighborhood. And most importantly, you will have a safer lawn for you and your family and your pets. See, Natural Lawn of America specializes in making sure that your lawn gets the proper treatment that it needs. In other words, it's dedicated to your specific lawn. That's what sets Natural Lawn of America apart. And the fact that it is the safer, more natural alternative. So Natural Lawn of America will also seed your lawn for free every year if you take advantage of their limited time offer by calling 1-800-FREE-SEED. 1-800-FREE-SEED. Natural Lawn of America. You'll get greener grass, fewer weeds, guaranteed. The best part is, I've used them for years now, the results will be absolutely beautiful. The kids can roll on the lawn, you don't have to worry about it. The pets can roll on the lawn, and everybody will say, wow, that's a beautiful, beautiful lawn you have. And you'll feel confident knowing that every year that lawn will be seeded for free with my friends at Natural Lawn of America. So call them today at 1-800-FREE-SEED, 1-800-FREE-SEED. Free speech lives here with Rich Zioli, afternoons 3 to 7, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. WPHT. Imagine me and you, I do, I think about you day and night, it's only right to think about the girl you love and hold her tight, so happy together. I should call you up, invest a dime, and you say you belong to me. Lose my mind, imagine how the world could be. So very fine, so happy together. Toss the dice, it had to be The only one for me is you And you for me, so happy together I can't see me loving nobody but Sean 
your musical selections today are outstanding. Well done, sir. Well done. You can say thank you if you want. My bad. I'm sorry about that. I was though you were about to start talking. No, it's all right. No problem. But thank Good you, though, today. Rich. I appreciate it. Well, you're getting a lot of accolades on social media today. Awesome. So, awesome. That's great. Yeah. You're, you're welcome. Uh, thank you. Thanks for being here. Henry is filling in for Dan on Dom Giordano's show for the next week or so. So we will be uh, Henryless, or as we call it, happy. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's on a vacation, and so are we. <laughs> Matt DeSantis, I've never heard you so happy. <laughs> Not since you saw the Nazis at CPAC. <laughs> there were no Nazis at CPAC. Um, we have a little bit of Abby Lowell, who's Hunter Biden's idiot lawyer. Um, remember, Abby Lowell's the one who blew up the entire deal to give Hunter Biden all that, that immunity um, because idiots hire idiot lawyers. And Abby Lowell spoke a few minutes after Hunter Biden left the Capitol building after his closed-door session today. This is what he said. Take a listen. Very briefly, you all could you interested. After seven hours of questions, the Republican majority ends the day with where they started. They have produced no evidence that would do anything to support the notion that there was any financial transactions that involved Hunter with his father, period. It seems to me that the Republican members wanted to spend more time talking about my client's addiction than they could ask any question that had anything to do with what they call their impeachment inquiry. So, as I said before, there is no evidence because there is no evidence, and today only confirmed that. Thank you. Will you do a public hearing? Mr. Biden, was the cocaine at the White House yours? <laughs> no, it was the dogs. The dogs' cocaine. I love that question, by the way. Can you isolate that question for me? Because that's really what everybody wants to know. Mr. I Biden, mean, was the cocaine at the White House yours? No, it was commanders. All right, we got a uh, another guest coming up. We're going to talk to uh, Regina Eja. She was uh, she's going to help us with understanding um, the ridiculous budget address that was played by uh, King Philip the Unaccountable yesterday. His Royal Rugness, Regina Agia. But first, I want to play a little clip for you of uh, His Royal Rugness making uh, dead whale jokes. Dead whale jokes because you know dead whale jokes are funny, obviously. Uh, take a listen. I'm not getting any more complaints. There must be no whales 40 miles offshore. <laughs> Just making sure you're paying attention out there because I am. <clears throat> and once these wind turbines are complete, they will generate, just bet you, you get this now? Do you all get it? They will generate enough energy. There's no whales 40 miles out. There are tons of them 12 miles out. It's unbelievable. What a jackass. I mean, honestly, dead whale jokes, everybody. Uh, perhaps we'll add the trumpets and do that again in the 5 o'clock hour. We have a big 5 o'clock hour coming up for you, courtesy of our friends at the Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey. So we're going to get to that straight ahead. There's a lot of breaking news. Uh, Trump wins a temporary delay to the ruling barring him from running New York businesses and taking out loans from New York banks. That just came in. But the question, of course, is does he have the cash on hand to be able to pay the egregious penalty that New York assessed against him in order to file his appeal. I think there's a clear Eighth Amendment violation to this. We'll talk about that. We have a lot to get get through. Uh, we're just getting warmed up here, so don't go away. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia.
Media from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, this is the drive at 5.30 minutes of non-stop talk with Rich Zioli. Governor Phil Murphy, King Phil the Unaccountable, his royal rugness makes dead whale jokes and also tries to impose the highest business taxes in the country. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Thank you for being here today. We appreciate it very, very much. Uh, we have a great guest joining us, and I want to get right over to our great guest. Matt, if you can grab uh, James Comer just spoke a few moments ago. We'll come and back to that in just a moment. Um, Regina Agia is joining us now. Regina is a friend of mine for many, many years in Jersey politics. She's also the president of the Garden State Initiative, and she served as chief of staff to former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Regina, how are you today? I'm great, Rich. It's nice to be on with you again. Nice to be on with you. Nice to see you at that uh, Zoom political call we had a few weeks ago. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, Alan Ashkenazi always does a great job putting that group together. So that was terrific. He uh, does. He you- does. It's a very reliable group. It is. Uh, yeah, a lot of great conservative voices and, and great discussion. I always I always enjoy it. I really do. Were you in Trenton yesterday for the governor's speech? I was, actually. We were uh, filming several legislators' comments uh, for a podcast we'll be um, uh, delivering in the next week or two. All right. Now, um, let's go over the basics here of what Murphy's trying to do. As I understand it, he is looking to impose some of the highest business taxes in the entire country. Is that correct? Uh, number one, actually, in the country, Rich, now. Number one. Number one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. By far, by the way, we're the only one in double digits now. The only state in the country that would have double digits for, for taxes against businesses. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess... It, I guess the, the, <laughs> I guess the question I have to ask then, Regina, is is why on earth would, would we want to go through with this, knowing that we're talking about a $10 million threshold? These businesses don't have to stay in New Jersey. There are many of other states out there that are trying to lure businesses to their states with incredible incentives. So why would we go down this road? Well, it's, you know, a, a, a mystery in terms of the Trenton math that would lead the governor to uh, this conclusion. Because it's, it's actually even more uh, punitive than, <clears throat> than just the business community. It is targeted at our largest employers in the state, to your point, right? It's anybody, any company that earns more than $10 million a year. So these are, you know, the Amazons, the Walmarts, the Wake Ferns, you know, one of our, our best employers in the state. And, you know, this sense of stronger and fairer has just gone too far. And the notion that the uh, business community not only should be targeted this way, but I think equally important, Rich, that everyone needs to understand is they're essentially putting the business community on the hook for New Jersey transit. This is considered a dedicated funding source and the amount they're expecting to come in from this tax won't even cover the gap that New Jersey transit is going to have next week. So, excuse me, next year. And so, you know, what we all ought to realize is, you know, the business is being targeted today, Believe me, they're coming after all of us because this won't be enough and they'll need more money. 
I thought Murphy's whale joke was so incredibly crass. I mean, you know, as our friend Jeanette Hoffman put it, if a Republican had made that joke, it would have been national news. Yeah, well, you know, I was born and raised along the beach uh, in Monmouth County, so I was particularly insulted that there would be such a, you know, both cavalier attitude as well as dismissive of really a large representation of our constituents in the state. You know, whether, you know, he wants to um, support it is one thing, but to be that insulting, I think, to an audience that, um, you know, obviously includes people who are very concerned about this, I thought showed great, uh, you know, a real tin ear, as we like to say. Yeah, and the joke bombed. I mean, it, it bombed big time. Let's play it one yeah. more time, Matt, if we could, just uh, in case anyone's just joining us now. This is uh, uh, King Philip the Unaccountable, his royal rugness, uh, making a, a very crass dead whale joke during his budget address yesterday in Trenton. Hey, I'm not getting any more complaints. There must be no whales 40 miles offshore. <laughs> just making Oof. sure you're paying attention out there, because I am. <clears throat> And once these wind yeah. turbines Shecky, are complete, Shecky Mur- they- thank you, Shecky Murphy. I mean, un- 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 unbelievable there. Just completely not, not not knowing how to read the room. Yeah, yeah, that's it's exactly right. It, you know, it is a, um, a subject that is just growing in importance in terms of broad energy, but also the desire for people to be heard. And you know, what that shows is he's completely turning a deaf ear to a large portion of his constituents. And I really don't understand it. And, you know, a lot of people shaking their heads in the room. Yeah, because these the we'll go back to the business taxes in just a moment. But the, these wind turbines, I mean, in addition to killing whales and dolphins, we've I mean, historic numbers that we've never seen before ever. And like you, I, I, I grew up going to the Jersey Shore. Um, the, the massive investment that's required here for the taxpayers and the ratepayers to have to pay for this. Uh, is enormous. I mean, this project cannot get underground, cannot get underway, I mean, without billions of dollars, essentially, in subsidies and also in hiking all of our, our the fees that we pay for energy. Well, I, we'll see if it actually does get underway. As you know, they did a second award to a different, um, you know, company. And um, my understanding is, well, and when we all know, they haven't told us exactly how much it's going to cost the risk pay, right? But more importantly, my understanding is, the contract that they let out to the second provider is actually more expensive than the one that was let out to Orsted. So, you know, things are only getting worse in terms of the cost and the, um, frankly, the irresponsibility of the current administration and giving, uh, you know, any due to anyone who's care, who is concerned about, you know, the, the burden of cost in our state, not just taxes, but, you know, we're talking about energy. We pay higher energy you know, prices than the average in the United States. We pay, you know, higher tolls, higher, um, you know, rates for just about everything in our state. And, you know, it just doesn't seem to be uh, any difference. And I think important about this budget, just go back to that for a minute, um, you know, Rich, is that this budget is indicative of the attitude of just no plowing all our problems. This budget doesn't solve any problem that we've got in this state. And it's leaving really an even bigger mess for the next governor when they come in in 2025. He is increasing spending by another $1 billion. Regina, we're already paying the highest property taxes in the country. We have families here that are struggling just to survive in the state. He's increasing business taxes. I mean, this is getting to the point now where unless you are really in the, in the high income levels, you're just not going to simply be able to afford to live in New Jersey anymore. 
Well, arguably, that's already true, right? I mean, yeah. I, I believe, as I said before, you know, nobody's going to be safe from these taxes over the next two years because they won't be able to afford to continue to spend at the rate they are. And increasing, to your point, right, spending is up 60% in the last six years. I mean, I don't know anybody who is able to sustain that level of, of increase in spending. And, you know, what's going to happen is taxes are going to go up on, you know, $100,000 and above families. And that is even below middle class in our state in many parts in terms of able to survive. So I'm, I'm confident that the taxes are going to go up on income, are going to go up on sales. They're not going to be able to resist raising sales tax next year, more likely. And property taxes, there's nothing to abate. In fact, did you see, Rich, that now there's a proposal to lift the 2% cap to 3% cap because they just can't you know, stand to be restrained in any way in spending. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not surprised by that because, you know, God forbid government should have to live within some sort of means in any way, shape or form. Regina G is with me. She is the president of the Garden State Initiative, and it's a great conservative organization dedicated to public policy research to make New Jersey a place where businesses and families can once again thrive. Regina, I, I, I'm looking at all this and I'm looking at your, your Twitter account as well. And as you put it, you know, this new tax is also going to blindside our state's job creators. It's going to also make it harder, I think, for companies to recruit good employees, because if, if an employee knows that they, they have to live in New Jersey, which is already such an incredibly expensive place, that's going to be another challenge for them. Now they're going to have to pay the highest business taxes in the country. And on top of all of that, we're also dealing with other problems, too, that are put on us by New York. I mean, in North Jersey, thank God down in Philadelphia, you don't have to worry about this. But, you know, they have that congestion tax pricing they're talking about. It's getting to the point now where if you're a business owner, and again, we're only talking about a $10 million threshold. It's really not that much in terms of being a big business. That's not that big, $10 million. Mm. You, you're getting lured by North Carolina. You're getting lured by Georgia, you know, Florida, Texas. They're saying, come come here. We'll, we'd love to have you. We'll give you all kinds of incentives. You can come and your employees won't have to pay income taxes and then we also have the stupid plastic bag ban which is still going on which is insane because i keep forgetting my bags and going into wegmans and having to carry out my stuff like i'm stealing everything which i'm not by the way for the record <laughs> okay so a couple of things in, in what you what you just said um i guarantee you that multiple businesses got phone calls today from other states telling them exactly what you just described that this, you know expanding their business in their state will be more attractive than New Jersey. I guarantee that to your, to your point. And I'll validate what you said at the start too about uh, recruiting people. Business leaders have told me explicitly they cannot recruit the top talent anymore into our state because of the cost of living and people have better choices in terms of both um, the combination of quality and cost of living along with good jobs. Actually, I so, think really I mean, Murphy. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Regina. I didn't mean to break interrupt there. No, no, no. I, I was just saying, you know, it's already here in terms of the inability uh, to recruit the talent that, you know, we say we've got in the state. I think it's leaking out. And I think it, it's showing up in both ways, people leaving as well as not being able to recruit as you were saying. That was all I was going to answer. You, you sat down with one of my friends, Senator Mike Testa, who's a, uh, a great guy, represents South Jersey in the state Senate, strong conservative voice. What was his reaction to the budget address? You know, appalled, as we all are, honestly. But, you know, Mike is a really articulate and uh, well-reasoned representative, I think, for, for South Jersey. 
And he addresses, I think, uh, you know, a variety of issues, including, you know, the wind turbines, the fiscal irresponsibility, as well as some of the social programs that, you know, are really, you know, something that I'm not sure the majority of New Jerseyans want. And, you know, he, you know, spoke to that. How are we expecting anyone to endure, especially in South Jersey, where you endure, actually in South Jersey, the same gas tax rates, some of the same energy rates, but you don't get the return, right, that a lot of the rest of the state does, especially on the gas tax and the toll ta- tolls that come in, because there's just not the infrastructure from transit and from the roads that we have in the north. So you get hit twice, and only do you pay all these high taxes in South Jersey, but you don't even get the return. And Mike is a really articulate representative of that, and I think he's really trying to make that case every day in the legislature. Do you think that Murphy has enough support among the Democrats to get this tax uh, tax hike through? You know, I saw a couple of comments. Uh, they were very, they were really equivocating um, of so- South Jersey because it, it's interesting that the Democrats in the South Jersey tend to be more um, small business uh, individuals have more, um, you know, uh, family-owned farms in their districts. They're actually more sensitive uh, at times, and they were more equivocal, I thought, equivocating a bit more. And so I'm not sure it's enough to stop it, but I do think that um, there's. it was a proposal, and I think he was careful, uh, Governor Murphy now, he was careful to say this is a proposal, so he didn't lead with his chin on this. Um, But, you know, they're going to come back to some other tax. Taxes are going to go up, Rich. And everybody's listening ought to understand that. It's really just a question of who's the target this year and then who's going to be targeting next year, unfortunately. I think I think Murphy's doing this because he wants to run for president. And I think he's just trying to, to move so far to the left on all these issues. It's why he's doubling down on the windmills. It's why he's doubling down on taxes. I mean, he, he uh, has massive ambitions. His wife is running for the United States Senate. Uh, they want to be the new Clintons. And it's it's so obvious to me that Murphy is trying to embrace every every left-leaning policy he possibly can. Well, there's a, a lot of political speculation about the motivation being more about the current uh, name on the ballot this year than, um, you know, the subsequent ambition that he's got. But I, I do agree with you. And, you know, it would be different. Uh, you know, the comparison to Clintons, I think, is a little, um, um, you know, demeaning to the Clintons because, I mean, their credentials <laughs> were, were pretty strong. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, his wife is using uh, state state resources to help advance her U.S. Senate campaign. I mean, they, they're putting out press releases acting like she's an elected official as she comments on things and comments on bills and proposes legislation. They had Tammy Murphy, the first lady of New Jersey, doing radio spots paid for by the state tax dollars. It's really, uh, I think, a, a gigantic political scandal that's not getting enough, nearly enough attention. Well, you know, I actually, um, I think it should get more. I think the, the media in general, you know, saving your show and a few others, um, really don't want to get into the tangled mess, you know, that is being created. But I do think, you know, Representative Kim is showing that there is a grassroots disaffection uh, with what's going on. And I think it's fascinating to be watching these county committee uh, meetings and the results of them. I'm sure you are watching them very closely. And so it's going to be a very interesting primary season for, uh, I think, the, the governor's wife. Yeah, no question about it. We'll see if um, the power of the king uh, has the kind of legs to be able to help his wife get into the United States Senate. Because I think one thing is clear is that um, in terms of 
Bob Menendez's political future, he may not be going anywhere. I mean, he should be removed from the committee. It's ridiculous that he's still getting classified briefings regarding some of the very countries that he's alleged to have helped by betraying the United States of America to enrich himself. But he's not he's not going to get the the party nomination to be the U.S. senator. Um, but that doesn't mean he's going to step aside. He may, he may still fight. So I, I know New Jersey is a tough state for Republicans. But if ever there was a year, I'd say this is the year to go for it. No question about it. The Garden State Initiative, Regina, Agia, Regina, thank you for joining me on the show. Where can people follow you and learn more about the great work you're doing? Well, thanks. Yes, we at GardenStateInitiative.org uh, in terms of our web, and we are on Twitter as well as Facebook at uh, GSI New Jersey. So um, please look for us, and you can go under my name as well and find all of our handles, uh, Regina, Egea, E-G-E-A. Rich, thanks so much for having me on, and I you know, wish it were a better story I was on to talk about, but I look forward to another time coming on uh, to speak with you again. Well, you know what you do? Come down and join us when we're in Cape May. We're going to be live at the Grand Hotel for five shows this year, including May 3rd. The windmill topic always comes up. I'm sure all these topics are going to come up. At least we can talk about it over a cocktail. Great. I would love to do that. Thanks, Rich. I'll put it on my calendar. Thank you, Regina. Appreciate it very much. It's the 5 o'clock happy hour. On the Rich Seoli Show. Brought to you by the Oceanfront Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey. A premier full-service resort and conference center. GrandHotelCapeMay.com. All right, there's a bunch of breaking news that just happened in the last five minutes. Uh, The United States Supreme Court, as I suspected, is going to take up the Trump immunity case. Good, good. I I mean, I would have been shocked if they didn't. But as you remember, D.C. Circuit Court, three-judge panel, ruled that Donald Trump does not have immunity for his actions as president related to January 6th. They said he could be criminally charged. This would open up a... I mean, it would, it, would, it would destroy this country if that's the case. If presidents are allowed to be held criminally liable for their actions while in office, first thing I've brought up many times is Barack Obama, drone strikes, killing American citizens without due process, charge him with murder, some attorney general, some U.S. attorney who wants to make a name for himself, charging Obama with murder. I mean, it's a ridiculous analogy, but yet it's an accurate analogy if you can hold presidents criminally liable for their actions in office. So the United States Supreme Court is going to take the case, thank God, because if the D.C. Circuit Court case stood, if that decision stood, every single former president would wind up being criminally charged with something. Presidents have to skirt the lines so many times, and you just cannot have a case where they can be held criminally liable. The only way to deal with the president who has abused the law abused his office is congress and the impeachment clause and i'm sorry but if it happens and congress is unaware of it and the president leaves office it's the uh, it's the tough noogies clause of the constitution you don't get to go back and then charge the president criminally because congress was unable to convict him in an impeachment or even impeach him but let's not forget something either which is that donald trump was impeached over January 6th, and he was acquitted by the United States Senate. So the only time that the issue was ever put to a vote, Donald Trump won that vote and was acquitted. So the idea then that you could defy Congress, defy Article 1 of the impeachment powers that Congress has, to then turn around and say we can still charge the president criminally even if Congress has acquitted the president during the course of an impeachment is so egregious to the Constitution and destroys the impeachment clause. 
But regardless of that, even if there is no impeachment, to go back and charge a president for actions that are now viewed to be criminal, when at the time they were at best either something that Congress could have done something about if it wanted to, or the president acting in what he believed at the time was within the confines of his powers. To then go back and charge him criminally to try to put that person in prison would mean, and I'm telling you this, every single former president would wind up in prison, would wind up at least being charged, if not in prison, would at least wind up being charged criminally by some attorney general or some United States attorney. So I believe the Supreme Court's going to step in and they are going to absolutely overturn the D.C. Circuit's opinion. But more importantly... The question needs to be answered. When is a president's actions considered to be part of their official duties? And when is it the president acting in his own capacity? Because that question remains something as well. In my opinion, the court should simply say that's up to Congress. There's your answer. The United States Supreme Court should come back and say it's beyond the scope of this court to determine what is a private action by a president. And what is the president doing his uh, the course of his duties? It is left to Congress to make that determination under Article One of the impeachment clause. It's not up to us. We don't get a say in this. It's up to the Congress. The founders left it very broad. Bribery, high crimes and other misdemeanors. That's how they left it broad for a reason. It's Congress's discretion based on the elected representatives of the people and the United States Senate to determine if the president has abused his powers, period. So I hope the court just simply comes back and says, you cannot hold presidents criminally liable. That's insane. It's why we have an impeachment clause of the Constitution. And secondly, it's not up to this court to determine what is a president's official actions and when the president is not acting in his official capacity. Because, listen, Donald Trump giving a speech on January 6th, And the argument by Jack Smith, the lunatic special prosecutor hell-bent on getting him, that Trump was not acting in his capacity as president, I disagree. Presidents use the bully pulpit all the time to advocate for issues. And that's what Donald Trump was doing on January 6th. You don't have to agree with him, but he was well within his rights as president to use the bully pulpit to advocate for something he wanted Congress to do. Presidents do it all the time. And he wanted, in this case, the American people to march to the Capitol peacefully and to have the Congress over, not overturned, but to send the election results back to the states, as was the law under the Electoral Count Act that applied on January 6th of 2021. Let's understand a couple facts here. Number one, Donald Trump never had to say, we'll march to the Capitol peacefully. There's nothing in the First Amendment that requires you to put in a peaceful disclaimer when you're when you're giving political rhetoric. Nothing. There's no disclaimer that exists in the Constitution that requires that. That's number one. Number two, Donald Trump did what presidents do all the time. He wanted Congress to take an action. He advocated for that action. He has no power to do anything about it. So he told the people to tell their representatives to do something about it. And that's what presidents do Every single day, Joe Biden did it again today, talking about wanting an assault weapons ban, whatever the hell an assault weapon is. He talked about it again today. He wants the American people to call their representatives and let them know. The third point is that Donald Trump argues that he was acting in his capacity. He took an oath under the Constitution, Article 2, to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. And he had to make sure that the election laws of this country were faithfully executed 
as they apply on the federal level. But either way, if we're going to get into this issue now where a president can be criminally charged after he leaves office for something that he did while he was in office, the first person I want charged is Barack Hussein Obama with murder, four counts of murder. He, he, he killed four American citizens. He said they were terrorists. How do we know they were terrorists? We have to take his word for it. There was no trial in absentia. Constitution's pretty clear. You got to have due process before you can take away somebody's life, liberty, or property. There was no due process. Barack Obama argued that he had the power to do so. They wrote an executive memorandum, his lawyers saying that the president was fully within his rights to order those deaths, to order those assassinations of American citizens on foreign soil. That question's never been resolved by the courts or by Congress. Now, at the time, Congress did not think Barack Obama did anything wrong. They did not impeach him over it. But using the logic of the D.C. Circuit Court, who cares? If I'm the United States attorney for the state where one of those men lived, I'm going to bring charges. And I'm going to say that he murdered a resident of my state. Or if I become Donald Trump's attorney general, which obviously I'm not going to do because I'm not an attorney. Not that you have to be one, but... I'm I'm going to I'm I'm going to order an investigation and I want Barack Obama charged with murder because I have to set an example to the American people that you just don't kill American citizens who use suspect of terrorism. Presidents don't have the power to order assassinations. Period. And while I'm at it, I might charge uh, Joe Biden with dereliction of duty because he's allowed this invasion of the southern border. So I'm going to charge him with an insurrection and chaos and an accessory to murder of the young woman who was just murdered by that illegal immigrant who should have been deported. I'm going to charge Joe Biden as an accessory after the fact to her murder because he's enabled the open border. See how insane this would be? See how, how crazy this would be for America if that were to happen? The foundation of this republic would absolutely crumble. It would crumble. Presidents would not be able to do their job. They'd be terrified to do their job knowing that they have to sometimes skirt the law, skirt the line, and they could be in a position where they could be held criminally liable. My opinion is, and I have obviously not heard the oral arguments yet, although I will be fascinated that day, and mark my words, whatever that day is, Matt, do we know the date the Supreme Court's going to take the case up? I haven't seen a date yet. All right, as soon as that date is posted, I am doing nothing but sitting home, in my boxers, watching C-SPAN with a gigantic bowl of popcorn. Okay, not just in my boxers, but... but. It's supposed to be early March, but I don't have a specific date. Well, I'm doing nothing that day. Carve out the day. (laughs) Give me my C-SPAN. I want my C-SPAN, a beer, my boxers, some popcorn... And I'm going to be I'm going to be listening to those oral arguments because you can't watch them. There's no cameras in the Supreme Court, but I'm going to be listening to every single word of that um, of that case. Fascinating. Wow. So much. Uh, Here's James Comer reacting to Hunter Biden today testifying on Capitol Hill. Take a listen. Uh, Deposition still ongoing. I have a bill on the House floor. I'm going to run across the street. Uh, Republicans are are still uh, currently asking questions. But uh, I think this was a great deposition for us. Uh, It proved several bits of our evidence uh, that we've been uh, conducting throughout this investigation. Uh, But there are also some contradictory statements that I think need further review. Uh, So this impeachment inquiry will now go to the next phase, which will be a public hearing. 
and that's something that I think uh, everyone in the media has been uh, asking a lot of questions about, uh, something that I know that uh, Mr. Biden and his attorney both demanded. Uh, just as I said, uh, when we said we were going to do the deposition first, we will have a public hearing next. So I think that the public hearing hopefully will clear up some discrepancies uh, between some of the statements that were made between some of the associates and what we heard today. But all in all, I'm very optimistic, uh, very excited about this deposition. Uh, and I look forward to releasing the transcripts as soon as both sides agree to that. Hopefully that will be within the next two or three days. What Thank you all very much. Good. Excellent. Can't wait to hear him. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Um, Matt, what, what did you just text me about Anwar Al-Awlaki? Oh, yeah. So to your point, Charlie Dent, uh, who I believe was on the House Homeland um, Security Commission at the time, he, uh, yeah, he was. Um, so he actually suggested that the administration and Congress remove Anwar al-Awlaki's citizenship from him so that any act by the Obama administration wouldn't be violative of his constitutionally guaranteed rights. But that resolution never was acted upon. As far as I know, uh, all they ended up doing was revoking his passport, which obviously doesn't also uh, equate to a, revo- a revocation of, um, of constitutionally guaranteed rights. Right. That's an excellent point you make. And so the, 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 the point that Charlie Dent was making at the time was, look, uh, you're killing an American. He has the guaranteed rights in the Constitution that no one can be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process. There's no due process here. You say he's a terrorist. we got to take your word for it. But you're killing the guy. If presidents are allowed to be criminally charged, all it takes is one United States attorney or one United States attorney general to turn around and say, we believe Barack Obama committed murder. He killed an American citizen. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if Barack Obama was acting correctly to preserve national security. It's all in the interpretation of the prosecutor. And then the prosecutor is going to make those charges and then he's going to file that and it's going to go to court and you're going to drag Barack Obama onto the stand or I mean, he doesn't have to testify. Obviously, he's got protections against self-incrimination, but you're going to have a, a trial, a trial of Barack Hussein Obama. Did he did he commit murder by ordering the assassinations of Anwar Awlaki and three other American citizens while they were on foreign soil? And we'll have to question, well, what, what intelligence did you have that he was actually a terrorist? And well, it's classified. Well, you better share it with the court because um, we got to determine if you committed murder or not. And then maybe they'll just get him on manslaughter. Who knows? What an absolutely crazy, crazy door that would open. Uh, it'll be the week of April 22nd. That's fine. That means then that I will be doing nothing that week, April 22nd. <laughs> That, of course, means that, yes, as Shannon Bream points out, the Jack Smith January 6th case is on hold in the meantime, and there is no way that Jack Smith's case is ever going to actually be heard because the Supreme Court still has to decide on – they got to hear the case in April, then they have to decide on the case, then we're getting into the summer, we're getting into the conventions. The Department of Justice has an unwritten rule where you don't bring trials 90 days before an election, so the, 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 the January 6th case is done, the Georgia case is done – it's over. It's all over. I mean, Trump is going to be the nominee. Trump is not going to be going to prison. They're not going to be able to get him behind bars. Much of the Democrats chagrin 
And that is the latest on that. All right, 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli if you would like to weigh in on everything we are discussing today. Let me tell you about NJ Diet. You can lose some real, real weight with NJ Diet, njdiet.com. Lose the weight for good and feel great. 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days with njdiet.com. There are locations close by you in King of Prussia, Newark, Delaware, Cherry Hill, and Princeton. Or online with live online video consultations at njdiet.com. You know the reason why it works? Because it's based on your body chemistry. There's no shots, no hormones, no drugs, no side effects. None of that stuff. A lot of that stuff can be very, very dangerous for you long term. And NJ Diet works even, even faster than most of those things anyway. So don't wait. Spring is here. Spring training. I was watching the Phillies game last night. It felt so great to know that any minute now we're going to be taking off the coats and taking off the sweaters and we're going to be enjoying the warm weather again. You can be looking great. 20 to 40 pounds of fat gone, guaranteed with NJ Diet. So don't wait. You can do this. You get the doctor's personal email, doctor's personal phone number, and they're there with you every step of the way. NJDiet.com and lose the weight. For good. It's the Rich Zioli Show. Live from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Glad you are here today. Big day with the big news that Mitch McConnell will no longer be the Senate Minority Leader. Uh, here to talk about it with me, a very, very, I'd say, savvy D.C. insider and an all-around great guy. Phil Kirpin is president of American Commitment. You can follow him on Twitter at Kirpin. Phil, how are you today? I'm pretty good, but uh, I don't know. DC Insider is a bit of an insult, I think. I mean, I do live here, but uh, <laughs> I think the insiders still hate me, so I don't know. No, they do hate you. That's uh, that's the truth. They really do. But that's a badge of honor, so wear it well, my friend. Wear it well. Uh, and speaking of DC swamp creatures, I see congressional leaders just uh, did another stopgap measure to avert a partial shutdown. What, did you, what, what do you got for us on that? Well, um, April 30th is the magical date. Uh, we get to April 30th and we get automatic across-the-board spending cuts, which would be a good thing. Uh, so every time they kick the can a little bit, I think, okay, maybe we'll get to the spending cuts because we, you know, thanks to the genius of Thomas Massey, uh, for once, uh, kicking the can actually helps us instead of hurting us. So we'll see what happens. So usually I would tell you it's bad because it means there's going to be some giant omnibus or whatever, but and maybe that'll happen, but... Uh, we have the possibility, at least, that you know their usual failure to get their job done could actually benefit taxpayers for once and result in automatic spending cuts. So that's the that's the optimistic take. We'll see. That's a great take, actually, and I think that that gives us some real hope there. And I don't think a lot of people realize that because as soon as I heard it, I thought the same thing. I thought, "Oh my God, this is going to mean another massive omnibus bill." And yeah, you're right. That well, it, might still it might be. It might be. Sure. Right. We'll yeah. See. 
Um, Mitch McConnell obviously announcing today stepping down as Senate Minority Leader. What uh, what's your sense of why the, why today? Why why of all days today? Well, uh, he had another one of his freezing episodes last week, and uh, they're becoming so frequent now that they don't even really make news anymore, uh, which is uh, kind of a little bit scarier than the first couple of times it happened, and it was a big deal, because it's kind of like this is just a normal thing now for the leader of Senate Republicans to kind of freeze up. And I think that, uh, you know, he knows that uh, he's not really at this point at age 81 or 82, whatever he is, up to kind of the day-to-day being the lead guy. Uh, the interesting thing is he's going to stay in the position through the end of the year, which is kind of, uh, I guess he thinks he can continue to do it at least that long, which is, you know, I, I, when when the rumors first broke, I thought he was going to, like, step down today as majority leader, which, of course, is not what he did. So, look, I mean, I think he's, he's there 17 years. He's the longest, uh, you know, Senate leader, I think, ever, certainly on the Republican side. Um, and he's getting up there in years. You know, the other thing that's interesting about this, Rich, is he's the uh, – He's like basically the same age as the president who wants another four-year term, which I also think is helpful to us to kind of highlight the difference. It's like Pelosi retires at this age, McConnell retires at this age, Biden says, uh, you know, give me, give me another presidential term at basically the same age. So I, I think a part of it might be kind of helping make that case. But I, I just think, um, you know, he, he, was the, he was the man for a long time in terms of, you know, if he was the guy on your side, you were probably going to win, and it was great. As conservatives, of course, a lot of times he wasn't on our side, and then, you know, that's one of the reasons we've lost a lot of these policy fights, but and there was really nobody more effective at doing what he wanted to do. The problem was it wasn't always what we wanted, right. uh, but I, I certainly think he was the man for a long time, and, you know, he'd certainly, I think by the last couple of years, he'd lost a few miles off the fastball, and uh, of late, uh, you know, he's been freezing in front of the cameras from time to time and, and sort of, you know, the lost more than a few miles. And so I think it was time. Um, I don't know why specifically today. I mean, I'm not, you know, maybe we'll get some, some journalist insider take on that, but those are usually fake anyway. So I, I'm not sure we'll ever really know exactly why, but um, I don't think anyone's really saying, oh, it's too soon. <laughs> so Yeah. No, 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 not at all. And I think, um, I, I think really he's he's gone so far out on a limb here on Ukraine funding, even saying it was his highest priority to the detriment of the border at a time when Republicans are are feeling a lot of pressure from voters saying, "Listen, you got to do something about the border." The border, Ukraine is not our biggest concern right now. I, I think if you ask the average Kentuckian, they would say the border is much more of a, of a of an issue for them than Ukraine funding is. So I think I think McConnell really also lost touch with. So many of the conservatives that are that are in the Senate, I mean, granted, he, he kind of did a long time ago. But but this is really, I think, highlighting a, a spotlight on this. The fact that you've got McConnell and Schumer and Biden and Kamala Harris tag teaming Mike Johnson to get him to go along with Ukraine funding um, without anything on the border uh, happening at the White House yesterday. I mean, that's that, that that just shows you everything right there. That's the problem, I think, of where he is at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that. Um I think it was pretty clear he wasn't going to run for re-election again for a while. Uh, for all you know, I mean, if he had any interest in sort of the political opinions back home anymore, then you're absolutely right. He wouldn't have been saying consistently the number one priority of uh, you know Senate Republicans is Ukraine funding. And he said he said that not once or twice. He said it pretty consistently. So I mean, yeah. I, I think that um, you know he's been in kind of legacy mode. And I think a lot of times when uh, you know, senators get to kind of towards the end of their service. They, they like to think almost all foreign policy all the time because they think about themselves as like, you know, the grand strategist on the world stage and all that kind of thing. And, of course, 
Um, it's very rare for most voters to think about foreign policy. I mean, they, they do to a certain extent, but, I mean, it's, uh, people almost always vote on economics, uh, you know, and, and cultural issues as well to a certain extent. But when all you care about and your number one priority is kind of a foreign war that we're not even directly, uh, you know, a combatant in, uh, you're not you're, you're not worried anymore about facing the voters again, and I don't think he has. I think he knew this was going to be his final term. I mean, one of the interesting questions is uh, whether he's actually going to finish the term, right? Because he was just, uh, I mean, what was he, reelected in 20 or 22? I don't even know, but he's got at least a couple more years. And, uh, you know, maybe he'll do what, uh, you know, Robert C. Byrd did and step down as leader, but then go run the Appropriations Committee and dole out all the money. And, you know, of course, he's the senior member of that committee, even though he's never chaired it because he's always been the leader. So I don't, I don't know if he's going to stick around or, or go, but um, I, I'd be pretty concerned about someone running appropriations who kind of, has moved into that legacy mode. Phil, what is your sense of who who gets the job now? I mean, obviously, we're hearing a couple names being floated around. A lot of them seem to be kind of McConnell acolytes, huh? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I think that um, it's pretty clear there, there are two major candidates for the job, I think, uh, John Barrasso and John Thune, and we, we may see Cornyn make a play for it, although I, I suspect that he'll end up uh, endorsing Thune because they're going to want to have one kind of you know establishment designated successor, and I think Thune's been running most of the Republican conference lunches anyway, so he's sort of been like de facto uh, in charge uh, already. And the question is, you know, can Barrasso organizing conservatives make a run at that? And I've seen a lot of these kinds of leadership fights, and usually the conservative gets you know 15 or 20 gets gets enough. To, to just lose. <laughs> so uh, I'm cynical enough to say it'll probably be John Thune, not John Barrasso. And then where's John Thune stand on Ukraine? Where does he stand on the border? Where does he stand on these things? Um, you know, I don't think he said anything publicly about being his number one top thing or anything like that. But I think that um, I think he voted against the bill to just fund Ukraine and not do anything about the border, which uh, probably he knew he had to. <laughs> in order to get elected. I'll go double-check that, but I think he did vote against it. By the way, speaking of the swamp, I know um, Montgomery County, Maryland, I saw you tweeted this out earlier today, I I guess Montgomery County, Maryland, one of the richest zip codes in the entire country, I mean, literally one of the most expensive counties in the country, right outside of D.C., they are ending their sanctuary city, uh, sanctuary county status, finally? Yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, and same thing's happening in Denver announced this week. Same thing happening in New York City announced this week. And so I think some memo must have gone out to these, you know, very large, you know, million person plus hard left, uh, you know, 75, 80 percent Biden jurisdictions are suddenly saying, no, no, wait a second. We're going we're gonna to start honoring ICE detainers after all these years of flouting them. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, kind of kind of piece of evidence that uh, even kind of the most hardcore left-wing people are kind of bowing to reality now on, uh, you know, the, the wave of illegal immigrant crime that we're dealing with, uh, you know, especially in these areas where they have refused uh, to comply with detainers. And so I think the, um, you know, the, the era of, you know, we're a proud sanctuary county and, you know, we're, we're never going to cooperate with federal officials, uh, I think that's ending in a lot of these areas, which, you know, I, I, I wish it hadn't taken what we've seen in the last few weeks for that to happen. But uh, sometimes kind of political realities can force the end of insane policies, uh, you know, that never should have existed, but, but, you know, went on way too long. And I think that's what we're seeing in some of these liberal areas. I mean, this guy, Mark Elrich, who runs 
Montgomery County. I mean, he's like, you know, I mean, he's pretty close to a communist. I mean, the guy, I've never seen a crazy far-left idea that he wasn't for. And then suddenly he comes out last night and says, oh, we're going to start honoring ICE detainers. So I suspect we're going to find out that some kind of memo went out and there was some polling and they decided they've got to, they've got to end the, uh, you know, the sanctuary city, sanctuary county thing. Well, hopefully when that happens, we can then get on to the bigger issue, which is ending Wendy's surge pricing. Because thank God. (laughs) You're just going through the tweets. Yeah, I mean, this is like one of these classic uh, PR things. I mean, the CEO says on an investor call, uh, you know, we're going to do dynamic pricing. And some reporters like, oh, they're going to do surge pricing. And then Elizabeth Warren, oh, this is price gouging. We're going to shut them down. And then they're like, no, no, we meant discounts. Like, be careful what you say. Anything's going to get twisted. You know, it's... uh, that's a instant classic. Uh, Elizabeth Warren and Chuck Schumer have never met a petty issue that they did not want to confront. Did, did you see my other favorite uh, story Phil today P- out of California, by the way, speaking of fast food? That Gavin Newsom exempted Panera Bread from their minimum wage because they were a big campaign donor? Oh, I, I saw you tweeted about yeah. that, but I, I, I know is you got that, a, run, Is that so. like an amazing new classic? So, you know, <laughs> the Panera Bread can pay 15 bucks, but like McDonald's and Wendy's and everyone, they got to pay 20 because they didn't pony up money to Gavin Newsom. It's a third world country in California. Listen, somebody has to put the, pay for that gel in the guy's hair. It ain't free. Phil Kirpin, <laughs> American Commitment. Always appreciate it, my friend. I know you got to bounce, but come back and see us again soon, okay? All right. Have a good one. Thank you, Phil. And this is the big story of the day brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com, V-A-N-A-R-I-A, venariadental.com. As we uh, continue along the show here, we have a lot of breaking news to get to in the 6 o'clock hour as well. I do want to give you a recap of Michigan. And um, I just the day has gotten away from us, Matt DeSantis. We, we have uh, all this show prep that we did, and it's all gone out the window because today <laughs> has just been... I don't even think I opened Evernote once today because of this. Oh, that's nice. News. I'm glad my hard work. Uh... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have it open right now. In fairness, there has been breaking news basically every 30 minutes during the show. Yeah. yeah. This is why we love afternoons. That and the fact that we don't have to get up at 4 a.m. No, that is nice, yeah. That is nice. I'll tell you what. Um, we did have that Gavin Newsom story, and I was going to bring it to you. But um, let me just say that I'm so excited. We're going to be at the Grand Hotel in um, May. May. I mentioned that to Regina Gia. We're going to be there May 3rd. This happy hour, of course, our 5 o'clock happy hour, always brought to you by my happy place, the Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey. So come out and see us there. We'd love to see you at the Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey. Um, all right, we got a lot more to get to before. You want me to take a break here? We'll come right back. Is that what you want me to do? Uh, Sean, keep how going? many minutes of commercial do we have here? Nice amount of commercial, but I mean, I feel like we could, uh, we could take it going into the... Time. Move stuff to the well, six. Who cares? We can't move stuff to the six. Oh, come on, you two. Figure it out. We can't. Well, all right, let's... Let's go to break here. We'll try to get you one more quick segment before the How about the I just keep going hour. and you just tell me when to stop? All right, that's you can do that as well. I thought you wanted another quick segment before I the don't top need of the a break. I don't need <laughs> a break. No, I, I keep, didn't know. <laughs> see, you always keep messing with, with Matt Humbridge. I'll, I'll keep going. I'll keep going as long as I can. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Uh, all right, but um, let me just say, uh, with regards to everything you heard on Capitol Hill today, 
um, all of this. Um, I'll get into the mayor of uh, Athens, Georgia, in the 6 o'clock hour. What happened there? Of course, the mayor got confronted by a bunch of protesters. Um, another bribe that is happening with this administration is the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, is now they're going to start paying students through federal work-study programs to register voters. So this is another scam that they're doing right now, the Biden administration finding another way to bribe people again. This is completely unconstitutional, but they love finding ways to use our money to get votes for Democrats. Cut number eight. We have been doing work to promote voter participation for students. And, for example, we have, um, under the federal work-study program, now allow students to get paid through federal work-study to register people um, and to be nonpartisan poll workers. As we know, this is important for a number of reasons. One, to engage our young leaders in this process and, and activate them in terms of their ability to, to strengthen our communities. Yeah, of course, another way to get people registered as Democrats and voting. Um, speaking of Republicans who are useless, again, we have Representative Brian Fitzpatrick pushing Ukraine funding. He and Jared Golden, Democrat from, uh, where is that, Minnesota, joined CNN's Jake Tapper on Tuesday, or Maine, excuse me, to discuss their push to force a, a vote on more money for Ukraine. I mean, this is the stuff that infuriates me here. Cut number seven. Are there other Republicans that will join you in Golden going around Speaker Johnson to force a vote on funding for Ukraine? Uh, there is. In fact, I spoke to several just last night. Um, and I, I wouldn't um, necessarily phrase this, Jake, as going around anybody. This is just to add a pressure point. You know, the politics are very, very tough, as you are well aware, uh, in the House. There's a two-vote margin in the House uh, for Republicans, a two-vote Democrat margin in the Senate um, on very, very tough existential time-sensitive issues. So we're not trying to circumvent or, or end-run anyone. Quite, quite to the contrary. We're trying to put an additional pressure point uh, on something that has to happen. No, it doesn't have to happen. Ukraine funding does not have to happen, Brian Fitzpatrick. We don't want it to happen. That's the point. Deal with the border, separate from Ukraine. Then have a debate on Ukraine. And watch as the vote fails because the American people have had it. We're, we're done. We're out. We're tapping out. No, that's not what we want. I am so tired of these Republicans who are putting Ukraine first over America. I really am. I'm so tired of that. And that's why it's good riddance to Mitch McConnell. Honestly, good riddance to him. Because like just like we talked about with my buddy Phil Kirpin, McConnell made it clear it was Ukraine first, not America first. And that's the problem. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm sick of this. Republicans, wake the hell up. The voters do not want any more money going to Ukraine, period. End it. Deal with the border. Do your freaking job. Please stop pushing this nonsense. I know the swamp is is making you do it, but stand up to them and say no and listen to the people. All right. We got a big six o'clock hour, fourth and final hour straight ahead. Don't go away. WOGL HD3 Philadelphia from the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. Yes. This is the next generation of talk. Now on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. There's so much today, but the uh, United States Supreme Court will take up the issue of whether or not President Trump has immunity from prosecution. 
Really, whether all presidents have immunity from criminal prosecution. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. It is our fourth and final hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. The big story of the day, though, brought to you by my buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, venariadental.com. Uh, two things regarding Trump. Number one, well, three, he crushed it in Michigan last night. I'll get into that. But a judge is refusing to halt the $454 million fine during his appeal. This is an egregious violation of the Eighth Amendment prohibition on excessive fines, particularly when it concerns bail. And uh, it's outrageous. And it's just so apropos for what New York is trying to do to him. Donald Trump is not broke. Okay, this is trending on Twitter today that Donald Trump is not broke. It's important to note a lot of these guys just don't have millions of dollars of cash just lying around. And that's a thing. In fact, there was a story years ago about Elon Musk. I mean, I don't think anybody would doubt that Elon Musk is a very, very rich man. He's a multi-billionaire. The Wall Street Journal actually had a story years ago Uh, It was Elon Musk, tech's cash-poor billionaire. He's worth $39 billion on paper, but the electric car maker, who announced he's selling his houses and most of his worldly possessions, needs a wad of money to exercise his latest payout. This is not uncommon for people who are very, very rich to just not have a lot of liquid cash just available. Um, So that's what's happening. But Trump shouldn't have to pay that in order to have his appeal heard. That is a violation of the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America. You know the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution as being something that involves the prohibition on cruel and unusual punishments. But it also bans imposing excessive bail, excessive fines, or, or, or cruel and unusual punishments. So this excessive bail and excessive fines, absolutely in violation of the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution. And I hope Trump will take that case up on the federal level because his constitutional rights are absolutely being violated by this. I mean, it's insane to say that a guy has to pay $355 million before he can hear his appeal, before his appeal can be heard by the court. That's just outrageous. Um, All right. We have a lot of other things to get to, though. The other big story being that um, the the United States Supreme Court today will hear the immunity claims by the former president. Now, I spent some time on this in the last hour, but understand that in addition to the lunacy it would create if you can actually criminally prosecute former presidents, the other thing is that this effectively now ends Jack Smith's case against Donald Trump. So Trump's having a great week. He re- I mean, he really is. Georgia case with Fonnie Willis. I, <sighs> Matt DeSantis, I sent you this clip. I, I don't know. We can't play this. There's no way to play this. But Matt Gates tweeted this out earlier today, and it's, it's, uh, it's lighting up the Internet. Even our buddy Philly Talk had a great, <laughs> a great joke about it. But, um, it's it's the term that came up on Bluetooth, um, and it, it I can't say what it is, but <laughs> I, I can't even describe it. The whole thing is offensive. The, the whole everything about it's offensive. If you get a chance to find it on 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 Twitter or another social media platform, knock yourself out and have some fun because you'll you'll enjoy it. But um, a- anyway, the Georgia case is done. Fonnie Willis, in my opinion, is absolutely going to be um, uh, told that she cannot continue on this case. There's a clear con- conflict of interest here. I'm of the opinion that Nathan Wade and Fonnie Willis have both subjected themselves to perjury, um, but that's not. What the judge is concerned with at the moment, the judge is concerned with whether or not there's a conflict of interest. My sense is that he's going to rule that there is. There's enough impropriety here where she has to be taken off the case. Uh, The Georgia case then is effectively dead. 
on the federal level by the Supreme Court now agreeing to hear the appeal on presidential immunity April 22nd. What they've done now is they've ended Jack Smith's prosecution of Donald Trump regarding January 6th. And here's why. Everything about the Jack Smith case rests on the notion that Donald Trump did something wrong on January 6th. Now, I still don't know what that is. I have no idea what law Donald Trump broke on January 6th. Donald Trump used his position as president in the bully pulpit to advocate Congress to take an action that they have the lawful authority to take under the Electoral Count Act and send the results back to the states. He encouraged people to go and lobby their legislators. If people broke windows, if people did other things, that's on them. That's on the individuals who did those things. That is not on Donald Trump, period. He never told anybody to commit violence. Saying we're going to fight like hell or we don't have a country is protected political speech that is used by politicians all of the time. He didn't say go kick windows in. He didn't say go punch a cop. He didn't say go uh, go do anything. He just said, go tell them to to reject these results, which, by the way, members of Congress have done before. And also they're plotting to do again in January of 2025 if Donald Trump is elected president in 2024. So understand that Donald Trump did nothing wrong that day. Presidents are allowed to give speeches. Presidents are allowed to advocate Congress. Presidents are allowed to lobby the people to go up and take issue with their Congress and to have them take an action for or against something. Trump committed no crimes on January 6th of 2021, period. The Supreme Court could have heard this this immunity claim A while ago, they rejected that and said they wanted to go through the circuit court first. That was a favor to Trump in many respects, because by doing so, they then have put Jack Smith on a major delay. He wanted to get Trump on the stand prior to Super Tuesday, and that's not going to happen. Now, by the court taking this case up in April of April 22nd that week, they're going to hear the case. They're going to take their time in coming back with a decision. It's an issue that I think is pretty open and shut. Presidents should not be able to be charged with crimes uh, based on their actions that they committed while in office because somebody now views that through the lens of being a crime, period. I mean mean this uh, sincerely. This is why we have the impeachment clause. Presidents are subject to the, the oversight of Congress, not the criminal court system, period. When they leave office, when they're in office, that's the end of it. But the political ramifications of this mean that let's say the Supreme Court comes back and issues a decision in May and says Donald Trump is immune. Well, then the January 6th case is over. Let's say that the court comes back in May or June and says Donald Trump has no immunity. I'd be shocked if they said that. But then at that point now, you are getting so close to the conventions and so close to the elections that to proceed with a trial is absurd and it's not going to happen. And then even if there was a trial and Trump was found guilty, there's an appeal process and everything else. It's over. The legal cases against Donald Trump are over. The only one left is Stormy Daniels. And I've already told you why that case is also a joke, because there's no victim in that case either. Stormy Daniels alleged that Donald Trump had an affair with her. Ooh, who freaking cares? And then. The allegation is that Donald Trump paid hush money. Well, you're allowed to pay people to do things in life. Got news for you. It's a free country. If I want to pay somebody money to get them to not say something about me, I can do that. I'm allowed to do that. There's nothing illegal about it. The only question is whether or not he he hid the payments by using Michael Cohen as the conduit. Okay, so what? He didn't want people to know that he paid a porn star to keep quiet about an alleged affair. He has the right to do that, too. The argument that the prosecutor 
is using, again, another Soros-backed lunatic in New York, Alvin Bragg, is that, well, by doing so, Donald Trump lied to the voters. They didn't know the full extent of the allegations. The voters don't have a right to know about the allegations. There's nothing in the Constitution that says there's a requirement that if somebody accuses you of having an extramarital affair with them, that the voters have to know that prior to the election. So it's a ridiculous, absurd case. But that's the last one. And that case is going nowhere either. So basically, Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. The question is, will Joe Biden be the nominee? And what happened in Michigan yesterday for Joe Biden was a disaster. Joe Biden was rejected by voters because they don't like him. And they don't like him for a variety of reasons. But one of those things is the fact that because the the Democrat Party has shifted so far kooky left that they are angry about Joe Biden's support of Israel, which, in my opinion, I don't think is really even that strong. So there you go. And that's the latest on all that. The court cases against Trump are done. It's over. It's give it up. Give it a rest. I'm, I feel bad for what he has to go through here. And it's ridiculous that Georgia is has not been decided yet. But I think it's going to be decided in his favor. And then what will happen is another prosecutor may take the case up or may not. And prosecutor may be friendly to Trump, may dismiss all charges. Either way, that's uh, that's over as well. Um, so it's going to be Trump. Will it be Biden, though? That's the question. Will it be Joe Biden as the nominee? He had his little health checkup today. Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House Femba, came and said there's not going to be a cognitive test. Well, of course not, because if Joe Biden actually had a cognitive test, he would fail that cognitive test. Bottom line. And I, I, I'll get into some more details with you in a little bit. But, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that everything around Joe Biden's candidacy right now is a gigantic red flag for a loss. And I hope he loses, and I hope Trump wins. My fear is that it's not going to be Joe Biden as a candidate. And maybe it'll be Gavin Newsom. I mean, Gavin Newsom wants it. You heard Phil Kirpin say that Gavin Newsom exempted Panera Bread from his minimum wage law because they donated to his campaign. You know, and, and, and this guy's a sleazebag, this Gavin Newsom. He's a sleazebag. But so are all the other people waiting in line. You know, King Philip the Unaccountable, his royal rugness, the whale killer, Gretchen Whitmer, tyrant, all these people. But the problem the Democrats have right now is that they've also got a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. problem. And Van Jones was on with Aaron Burnett discussing how Robert Kennedy Jr. could have a major impact in the race, specifically I think, hurting Joe Biden. This is him on with uh, Aaron Burnett talking about this. Cut number 11. Uh, In either of those states could turn the entire election. New York Times, Siena, college poll from the fall in Arizona has Kennedy with 26% support. Biden and Trump a little bit ahead, but not much. uh, 33% each. Just to make the point, RFK Jr. could do a lot better than 10,000 votes in those two states. He, he can, and it is, uh, if, if you understand basic math, uh, this is a shockwave through uh, the Democratic Party uh, because uh, it, 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 it takes a lot less than the amount of support he's got, especially among young people, to throw this whole thing uh, to Biden. And we can lose some states, but we can't lose many. Uh, and so uh, it's, we're, we're going to have a, a tough enough time uh, in Georgia. We're going to have a tough enough time in Arizona anyway. Uh, but this is a big deal. This is a very big deal. And um, uh, th- th- I think for me, my heart breaks. I, I know uh, RFK Jr. In fact, he 
uh, endorsed uh, and wrote the forward for my first book. Yep. <laughs> Very close to his uh, uh, sister, uh, Carrie. Uh, he was an environmental champion. Let me let me jump out of this for a second here, Matt, uh, because Donald Trump just put out a statement just a moment ago saying legal scholars are extremely thankful for the Supreme Court's decision today to take up presidential immunity. Without presidential immunity, a president will not be able to properly function or make decisions in the best interests of the United States of America. Presidents will always be concerned and even paralyzed by the prospect of wrongful prosecution and retaliation after they leave office. This could actually lead to the extortion and blackmail of a president. The other side would say, if you don't do something just the way we want it, we are going to go after you when you leave office or perhaps even sooner. A president has to be free to determine what is right for our country without undue pressure. If there is no immunity, the presidency as we know it will no longer exist. Many actions for the benefit of our country will not be taken. This is in no way what the founders had in mind. Legal experts and scholars have stated that the president must have full presidential immunity. A president must be free to make proper decisions. His mind must be clear, and he must not be guided by the fear of retribution. Well said. Listen, my friends at Cherry Hill Volvo would love to see you. It was Judith's birthday yesterday, and I'm so grateful for her wonderful support as we broadcast live from the Cherry Hill Volvo studios each and every day. And yesterday I picked up my new Volvo the XC60. It really is my favorite. It's a big SUV, not as big as the XC90. That's got the third row for the kids. That's the one Bridget drives. But the XC60, oh, the cargo space, beautiful, stylish. Listen, whatever car you're interested in, even the S-Class made right here in South Carolina at their plant in, in, in South Carolina in America, you will have a wonderful experience at Cherry Hill Volvo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. Just like my buddy Frank Caruso, who went to Cherry Hill Volvo and bought a beautiful XC40 2023 silver with dark interior. And he even brought Judith a birthday card yesterday. So, Frank, thank you. Thank you for doing that and supporting our friends at Cherry Hill Volvo. We appreciate it very, very much. Go see them today. They're right on Route 70 in Cherry Hill. They are where relationships matter. And Judith and Yosef and the entire team prove that every single day. And how about this? An S60 courtesy vehicle for less than $29,000 with less than 5,000 miles on it. You want to go see them. Cherry Hill Volvo. They stand with us at Talk Radio 1210 WPHD, and they will give you the luxury experience you deserve. And Volvos are great cars, fast and stylish, and some of the safest cars on the road, period. Cherry Hill Volvo on Route 70 in Cherry Hill, where relationships matter. Hey, Audubon. Tell your smart speaker to play 1210 WPHT. Farewell to Mitch McConnell. Good riddance. Bye-bye. 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 Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here. Our fourth and final hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT 855-839-1210. On Twitter, at Rich Zioli. I'm sorry. I'm not going to. I really, it's hard for me to have any sense of uh, sympathy, (coughs) excuse me, for McConnell leaving. I just think that, uh, you know, the the guy well overstayed his welcome. And goodbye. You know, this the fact that he put Ukraine above the United States of America, that he wanted money for Ukraine, that was going to be the thing. That was going to be the, the, the differential, the hill that he would die on over the United States of America's national security over our border is just the reason why he's got to go. Now, there was a lot that happened today, and we've covered a lot for you, but 
I'd be remiss if I did not mention, you know, Biden had this this uh, Fugazi crime summit thing at the White House today. And the thing about it is that he never even mentioned anything about illegal immigration because it's a joke. I mean, it's it's a joke. You you have Democrat operatives who are coming out now and saying, you know, Biden should really address the border. I mean, he really should address crime. He really should say these things. But they're so afraid, I guess, of the of the hardcore lunatic base. And I think you see that in Michigan. I think you see what happened in Michigan, which, of course, as you mentioned earlier, you know, stunned the TV newscasters, stunned over it. But Biden spent today going on about assault weapons and the NRA, not crime, not crime. He 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 went on. He went on and on about how we're going to go after the NRA. We're going to go after assault weapons. This is this is the thing about the Democrat Party today. They are so far gone. They're gone. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has to place metal detectors at migrant shelters. Gee, really? You think? Well, it's a sanctuary city, so you know, there you go. And then you had that that protester today in Athens, Georgia, saying, Mayor, you are a liar. You are guilty. You have blood on your hands. And what does the Athens mayor say? He says, I caution against conflating immigration and crime. The data demonstrates the two are not connected. Are you freaking kidding me? That's what happened. So let me let me back up for a second here. So we had this um, we had this this uh, protest that occurred in Georgia where, you know, you had this this terrible murder uh, which the media now is accusing Republicans of trying to capitalize on, you know, trying to capitalize on the death of a, of a of a young woman at the hands of an illegal immigrant who should have been deported, who should have been deported, who never should have been in this country. I mean, that's the thing. Never should have been in the United States of America. So the pre- protesters heckled the mayor of uh, of Georgia of Athens, Georgia. He was shouted down today. We have that clip? Yeah, we do, right? This is uh this is this is the clip of the mayor from from today. And then I'll play his reaction after that. Uh take a listen. Many many of the elements many of the elements we're here to listen. You're a liar. We're here to listen. Liar. You're time for questions. Many of the aspects that are ascribed to sanctuary cities we know what sanctuary are things means. that are disallowed by Georgia law. Mm-hmm. Lakin Riley's murder could have been prevented if the guy had been deported. That's bottom line. Bottom line. And then what does the mayor say? What does the mayor say after that, that uh, the crowd? Well, first of all, he wants people to leave the room. He's, he, he's unhappy that his own constituents are yelling at him. So after that, what does he say? In the main, I caution against conflating immigration and crime. The data demonstrates that the two are not connected. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because the impact of federal immigration policy on localities has been under such consistent discussion in recent months, I do want to say a few words about this. It's my 18th year as a local government policymaker, and my work has overlapped with four U.S. presidencies and numerous iterations of Congress. All of them have failed to reach agreement on how to handle immigration. Mm-hmm. You see that? So <clears throat> there, you, there you go. He's, uh, it's just don't conflate the two issues, please. Don't conflate the two issues. The two issues are not the same. They're not the same. Don't conflate them. Uh, it's 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 just it's uh, unbelievable. Nobody's talking about immigration. We're talking about illegal immigration. 
We're talking about getting rid of the people in this country who are here illegally, who should not be in this country, and they should be deported. Like this guy, this accused murderer of this beautiful woman, Lakin Riley. Uh, and, and, you know, Jim Jordan put it best. I mean, Biden never deports anybody. He doesn't deport anybody. Even if they commit a crime, Joe Biden won't deport them. We want all the information they have about this individual. I mean, you think about, first of all, Joe Biden lets this bad guy in the country. Then he does something wrong in New York and they let this guy loose. And then this tragedy happens in Georgia. And, and of course, they could have also, once they found out this guy had committed a crime, they could have deported him. So yep. Joe Biden's administration allows people in. Then when they do something seriously wrong, uh, some kind of crime, he never deports anyone. So th- this is all because of the ridiculous policies and the, and uh, with, with the Biden administration and, of course, right. these DAs who continue to let bad guys roam the street. Mm, it's true. It is true. And some of those DAs are the George Soros funded district attorneys like Larry Krasner right here in Philadelphia. I want to make a point, by the way, and I need to say this, and I mentioned this earlier in the show today. We did the show live from CPAC last week. I did not see one Nazi there. Not a single Nazi at CPAC. I saw a lot of great people. I saw a lot of enthusiasm. I saw a lot of conservative energy in the room. No Nazis. I didn't see any Nazis. But this idiot, Rick Wilson, goes on Joy Reid, and just to show you how these people are absolutely all in the tank for each other, and he's claiming now, falsely claiming, that there are Nazis roaming. Look, were there some idiots, extremists there? I don't know. There's The Democrat Party's full of extremists. My God, you don't have to look very far to figure that out. Just look at what happened in Michigan last night. The Democrat Party is loaded with extremists. My God, you don't have to look very far to figure that out. Just look at what happened in Michigan last night. Democrat Party is loaded with extremists. But if if there's one if there's one extremist at a Republican or conservative conference, that means everybody's tainted. Everybody's tainted. I can tell you I saw nobody goose stepping. I saw nobody uh you know Zeke Heiling. None of that was going on. It was a pro-America convention with a lot of great conservative ideas and part of those ideas by the way were keeping the United States out of further war, which is a pretty darn good idea if you ask me. Oh, and by the way, not exactly what the Nazis were known for, keeping their country out of war, just for the record. I mean, I'm no, I'm, no, I'm no historian or anything, but it seems like if you look at the record, the Nazis were not particularly good at keeping Germany out of war. This idiot, Rick Wilson. There's a problem with this. My grandmother used to call it the turd in the punch bowl. Mm. Once you have a turd in the punch bowl, it's not punch anymore. Once you have one Nazi in the door... Mm-hmm. You're not a conservative organization anymore. You're a pro-Nazi organization. And the fact that these people were there on the floor, perfectly comfortable, the fact that these people are circulating there now, because they are all part of a philosophy that Steve Bannon infected the GOP with called no enemies to my right, right. which is why they were fine with Charlottesville at a certain level, which is why they're fine with these people. They look at these people as their shock troops, as their, as their best guys, as the people that are going to go out there and metaphorically or literally swing at their enemies. Mm. One Nazi on the floor. I can tell you that there were no Nazis. There were no Nazis. And you're an idiot. You're a freaking idiot. But you see, what what we have here is we have these extremists like whack jobs like AOC. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry to play this for you, but we played it yesterday, but it's worth playing again because they are out there acting like the immigration crisis, the national security crisis that is the open border is something manufactured just by, by xenophobes. You know, we're just pushing it out there. It's not real. It's not real. It's just something that we're pushing out there. The idea that Republicans, in order to win an election, say we need to hermetically seal the border when they know that that would be, that is economic self-sabotage to the U.S. economy. 
and they are saying, let's let's do it anyway. And to compensate for the negative effects, we're going to allow and throw people's kids into factories. That is what they are doing in rolling back child labor laws while being as xenophobic and anti-immigrant as as they are. And while ginning up this this false. Oh, shut up. Give me a break, please. It's not a false narrative. It's a real narrative. It's real. It's real. But I, you know, Jake Tapper whining over the fact uh, we're just making this up. You know, Republicans and voters out there, they're just making this up. Seizing on the horrific tragedy, this young woman, her murder by this guy who should have been deported. They're just seizing on it. They're capitalizing on it. That's what they're doing. So uh, Republicans obviously seizing on this horrific. Seizing. Did you catch the word? Seizing. Seizing. At the University of Georgia, um, this girl, this nursing student, killed uh, by an undocumented Venezuelan uh, migrant. And they're seizing on this as an example of Biden's failure to protect the American people and to secure the border. Today, President Trump posted on his uh, social media site, Truth Social, quote, When I am your president, we will immediately seal the border, stop the invasion, and on day one, we will begin the largest deportation operation of illegal criminals in American history. May God bless Lake and Riley and her family. That's the poor nursing student that was killed. Our prayers are with you. Your, what's your reaction to that? Well, first, obviously, it's a tragedy, and we should, we should recognize that before the politics enter this. But let's not be naive. Politics enter these things very quickly. And Donald Trump knows how to take advantage of a situation like this and, and, and exploit it. How is it exploiting it? <clears throat> how is it exploiting it? A woman's dead. Because of sanctuary city policies that won't won't get rid of people who are criminals. Remember, we're talking about criminals. We're not talking about people who are getting sanctuary at Philadelphia City Hall. We're talking about people who are criminals who've committed crimes, who have broken the law, and ICE wants to deport them. That's what we're talking about. Even Biden's former communications director tells Democrats they need to be more aggressive on the border and crime because people are feeling frightened. You think? Yeah, people are feeling frightened, and it's it's absolutely something that is going to hurt Joe Biden, and it is hurting Joe Biden. Look at the polls. Look at everything that's happening. Look at what's going on, but you have such a whack job element in the Democrat Party that refuses to acknowledge that criminals are the bad guys because they think they're victims, and they refuse to acknowledge that the border is open and there is an invasion going on. They refuse this. And I'm telling you the reason why. It's because of people who prop them up with the big checks from these these very powerful mega donors in the Democrat Party who write the checks out to these 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 prosecutors and other people. And they're crazy people. This is the uh, former communications director, Kate Benningfield. I don't believe people who are violent in our city and commit repeated crimes should have the privilege of being in our city. There's some people that feel that they should be able to remain here, keep doing their actions until they eventually um, convicted. I don't subscribe to that theory. So, again, Kate, Democratic Mm. mayor of New York City. I mean, this is really, really telling in terms of how this issue is playing out across the country right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's tough for Democrats. It is tough for Democrats. And I think it's smart for Democrats to be more aggressive on it because people are feeling frightened. Now, I don't subscribe to, to borrow the mayor's language. I don't subscribe to the Trump vision of America as a decaying wasteland where, you know, packs of people are running wild, committing crime. But it is true that people across the country, particularly in uh, cities, are concerned about crime. It is smart for Democrats uh, to be more aggressive about it, to be more responsive to what people are feeling. Now, where where I think it gets dangerous is when you veer into the uh, the demagoguery and the bashing immigrants mm. and making immigrants scapegoats. Now, that that I don't believe is where the Democratic Party should be. 
Um, but I do think taking on this issue of crime, being tougher, um, is, a, is a good thing for Democrats and, and will renounce their effect. Ah, yes, being tougher, being tougher, but also at the same time remembering that um, we don't want to be too tough now. Not too tough. This, of course, by the way, is the top story of the day brought to you by our buddy, Dr. Mike Venaria, VenariaDental.com. Go see him today for your perfect smile, VenariaDental.com. But listen, even Dr. even Dr. Phil himself, even Dr. Phil himself acknowledges what the border crisis is all about and what's happening. He railed against the border uh, to Jesse Waters' uh, prime time the other night. Railed against it. All right, we got more to talk about it here on the fourth and final hour on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Thanks for being here tonight. We got a lot to talk about. More businesses are fleeing blue cities over rising crime. And, of course, the question on everybody's mind today, including my mind, is who's going to take over for Mitch McConnell? Don't go away. The Zioli Show on your schedule from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. The Biden crime family at the center of it today. And of course, as you know, there's a lot to talk about with old Hunter. Hunter, 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 $20 million flowing into the Biden crime family. Welcome back to the show. Glad you're here today. 855-839-1210 on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it very, very much. Our fourth and final hour. Don't forget, Friday, May 3rd, we're going to be live at the Grand Hotel of Cape May, New Jersey. So make sure you join us for that. Senator Ron Johnson put it best. You know, he was talking to Maria Bartiromo. And um, the thing about what he said is, you know, there's a lot of corruption that's happening within our government. I mean, we talk about this all the time, right? We talked about this with Kat Kamek at CPAC. Uh, not a Nazi. Uh, no Nazis, actually, a Nazi-free CPAC. I don't know what the hell these people are talking about. Anyway, we talked about the weaponization of the Department of Justice, the weaponization of the government against the American people. And Senator Ron Johnson did a great job explaining this, how much corruption there is going on within the Department of Justice and the FBI, not only, I think, covering for Joe Biden, but for going after Donald Trump. And we've seen, we saw this for years when Trump was president, how they worked to undermine his presidency. Literally worked to undermine his presidency. First, they worked to stop him. Remember Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, his gumata? How they said, we will stop him. We will stop him. Remember? And then also, when he got into the White House, of course, all the things they did to try to derail his presidency. Well, they're still at it. The Hunter Biden laptop, they're still at it. Here's Ron Johnson. Senator, zero trust in the FBI from the chairman of the Oversight Committee. Your reaction? My trust might be lower than that. Mm-hmm. You know, how many times have you heard me say, uh, Maria, as troubling as the Biden family corruption is, even more troubling is the corruption within federal law enforcement, the Department of Justice, our intelligence agencies, and of course the complicit media. Now, what I'm hoping House members drill down on is something that the media has completely ignored: uh, the indictment. I mean, the fact that Hunter Biden, over four years, spent 1.6 million dollars in cash, spent over 600 thousand dollars on sex trafficked women. You know, it's going to a lot depend on how many documents uh, uh, Chairman Comer has and what kind of answers uh, Hunter Biden has in terms of that documentation. You know, follow the money. But listen, Senator Grassley and I, lay, we laid out the case against the Bidens. Uh, President Biden was obviously corrupt. Uh, he's compromised, compromised now in, in office. He never should have been elected, but he was elected because of the corruption of, for example, 51 uh, intelligence officials that covered for the Hunter Biden laptop and the complicity of the media that covered up for the Bidens and continue to do so. Well, look. That's right. And, I, you know, I should have, I should have, I'm sorry, Matt, I should have played Comer first. Here's Comer saying he has zero trust for the FBI 
James Comer, the chairman of the committee, of course, doing a great job. Then I got I to play you a clip where he goes at it with a reporter today. Fantastic stuff. Take a listen. And successfully used its informant to prosecute criminals in the past, and he had been with the Bureau over a decade. They've indicted him, and more is coming out about the informant, what role he played for the FBI. The FBI paid him to be a spy in Russia. They indicted him because he was communicating with Russia. But that's what they paid him for over 10 years to do. So I don't know anything about Smirnov, but it, it you know the circumstances around his indictment and uh, his rearrest and the and the changing of the indict the original indictment by Weiss is very concerning because everything that that I've had uh, to do with the FBI has been very suspicious throughout this investigation. The trust level that I have with the FBI is zero. Zero. Zero point zero. Exactly right. And I don't have any trust for him either. Now, Comer went at it with a reporter today. It was great, urging him to join the Biden Legal Defense Fund. This is fantastic. Take a listen to this. Mr. Chairman, what evidence do you have that either as vice president or as president, Joe Biden used his political office in any way to benefit either Hunter or James Biden's business deal? We have evidence that uh, Joe Biden met with the Chinese. But officials. what specific actions did he take We've as had a public official? We've several people already testified. But what action, how did, how was AmeriCorps help? How is this Chinese business helped by the fact that Joe so, Biden so, is okay, vice president? So, so let me president. ask you a question. It, you mentioned AmeriCorps help. Does anyone in here question whether or not that was influence pedal? Does anyone question that? I think no. there's a lot of questions about it, sir, because there was no evidence that Joe Biden did anything. He got two hundred thousand dollars from what did he do and as the a evidence official, that, that Joe Biden, that Jim Biden said checks, Joe, no, listen, he wasn't vice president at the look, time. Those you can you can defend Joe Biden all day long. You can defend Joe Biden. You, 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 you can be on his legal defense team. Kevin Morris will probably pay your legal bills if you want. <laughs> You're not but answering the, my question. No, I am answering your question. You don't you you don't understand what we've said over and over and over. Joe Biden took two hundred thousand dollars. Was he vice president from at the time that two hundred thousand dollar check was was put through? Do what? He was a private citizen at the time that two hundred thousand dollar check went through. Was he not? The the four hundred the forty thousand dollars. The two hundred thousand dollar check, which you've cited twice. So now, it's okay. Was he a public official so, at the time? So do you have a problem that Joe Biden's lied about this? Do you have a problem that that America? I have any evidence that he's lied about investors? it. I'm asking you, what specific action did he take as a public official? An elected public official well, that led yeah, those with the, with the, with If the, you have that evidence, yeah, sir, okay, present calm it. Down, calm down. It's okay. No, it's I'm okay. Not. All the angry liberals and what you're saying, they'll, they'll be fine. Listen. I love that he went after him. Good for him for doing that. Good for him for doing that. 855-839-1210 is the number if you want to weigh in today on Twitter at Rich Zioli. Look, I mean, it's all going to come out. It's, a, it's all going to come out. But you know what I love, though? I love how people are saying that somehow Michigan was was not a good night for Trump. I got to go to the khakis. Let's go to the khakis. Steve Kornacki on Michigan telling the truth about what everybody knows. It was a huge win for Donald Trump in Michigan last night. And Nikki Haley got slaughtered. Look, whenever you're in doubt, whenever you have doubts, you go to the khakis, right? You go to the khakis and then the khakis will help you and guide you. And they will make sure that you understand what's happening. That's what Steve Kornacki's khakis are all about. They're all about bringing America together and healing America. Now, I should just let you know I'm not a khakis guy. I'm a guy who believes in wearing jeans. I like jeans, but, you know, that's me. Not everybody can be like me. I get it. You know what I mean? Uh, Should we go to the khakis? Are you queuing it up? But, But one thing I know for sure about 
about everything that happened in Michigan last night is it was a great night for Trump. Oh, we're having a little audio technical difficulty here. Oh, that's okay. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what, what Steve Kornacki said. It was a landslide for Trump. Nikki Haley fell short in her best county. Her best county. Let's start on the Republican side. We've just gotten the last couple of minutes a lot more of the vote. We're up 40% statewide, becoming at a trickle. It's a landslide for Trump, but from Haley's standpoint, she's indicated clearly that she knows she's likely not getting this Republican nomination. But she made the South Carolina speech she delivered on Saturday night sort of a centerpiece of her message. The idea that, hey, there's 40% of Republicans in New Hampshire. She got 43% of the vote. That's a bit like it was in South Carolina where she got 40% of the vote. Well, it's not going to be 40% in Michigan, and it wasn't 40%. It was much lower than that, obviously. It, she got destroyed in Michigan. Donald Trump crushed it again, bottom line. There is no party registration in Michigan. There's no such thing as registering as a Republican or Democrat or independent. Anybody could come and vote in the primary, and that's what happened. But hell, he still wasn't getting the numbers. Even though it was an open primary and the Dems could come in and vote for her, and they, they do, they're trying to. It's Operation Chaos. Operation Chaos. Even though the Dems could come out and vote for her, they still didn't come out. You know why? Because they're, they're, at this point, they know it's, it's over. There's no point in even trying. So they didn't want to waste their time. They didn't want to waste their time because they're busy people going home to find things to complain about and be upset and, and, and offended by. They're offended by everything. So, of course, they have no time to go out and actually vote. But that was their Operation Chaos, similar to what Rush Limbaugh talked about, the great Rush Limbaugh, many, many, many years ago, creating Operation Chaos. Well, the Democrats are trying to do that to get Nikki Haley in there. And they're backed by the elite ruling class that wants to make sure that, um, you know, the war in Ukraine continues. But here's this Democrat activist. I, I, I want to play this before I turn it over to the great one, Mark Levin. This, this guy is great. He, this is from Benny Johnson posted this, and um, he, he's, he's turned on the Democrat Party. Full on MAGA now. He's full-on MAGA. All I can say to this guy is, welcome to the party, pal. It's good to have you. Welcome to the party. You know, black people used to be Republicans until the Great Depression. I think we've written this donkey as far as I can take this. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's dead. I'm ready to get on a great big old African elephant. Right? We have to remember who Joe Biden is. This is a guy who was uh, mentored by Senator Byrd and people like Strom Thurmond, the card-carrying members of the Ku Klux Klan. So, you know, she represents uh, Republican 2.0. What she's talking about for us is a new emancipation, socially, politically, economically. It's it's Emancipation 2.0. And we have a real opportunity, not only with her candidacy, but with President Trump to uh, start again in this country. And recognizing where we've been. Look, I'm not telling any of you who are Democrats to remember your voter registration card. Okay? Maxine Waters, Auntie Maxine, imagine if she was really your auntie. She's really my auntie. What I'm saying is this. After all of those years of dealing with failed policies, how many more, how, how many more lives, how much more time how many more generations are we going to sacrifice at the altar of Democrat politics wow. when they treat us Boom. as a political afterthought? Boom! An afterthought. It's time for us to make a positive choice in our own best interest and vote for the candidates who are in our own best interest. 
And if they are Republicans, then so be it. Good. When uh, white America, working class, and black America, working class, decides to work together, there's no demographic. Bravo. There's no demographic that can stop us. Stop us. What other sign from God do you need than to see the predominantly white Republican Party uh, moaning, groaning with us about the likes of the FBI and the CIA? Bingo! We're talking about God's timing, right? Uh, Doesn't he have a way of making strange bedfellows? He has a way of drawing us together in perilous times to stand together, work together, fight together, vote together, lead this country together. Because those uh, people who are inclined to its destruction are our common Our common I love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's fantastic. That guy is my hero, and uh, good for him. I think that that is great. <clears throat> okay. Have a great rest of your night tonight. The great one, Mark Levin, is up next. Back with you tomorrow on Twitter. At Rich Z, I mean, keep back to you on the radio tomorrow. Keep the conversation going on Twitter. At Rich Zioli. Sorry, it's been a long show. Uh, Have a great night. Thank you. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. US Q3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.